Hey there, Quackdroll fans. Before we started the podcast, just wanted to do another quick shout out to our wonderful guest, Alicia de Otola Castillo of the podcast Reign of Troy. Huge shout out to her. Very long episode. It was wonderful to have her knowledge on the subject. But also wanted to do a few quick updates from Day. that is mainly on the D-line here since we've recorded. Uh, Jamar Sakona has disappeared from the roster online, as has Colin Mobley, another D-lineman. On the other hand, Kobe Pepe is still listed. So who knows what that means? All right, on to the show. Welcome to the Quack 12 Podcast, the most official, unofficial, Oregon Ducks podcast on the web footosphere. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Quack 12 Podcast, or visit our website, quack12podcast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us five stars on your listening device. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit the Quack 12 Patreon page, where for a measly $5 a month, you can become an official quacky and unlock hundreds of hours of Oregon Duck content. On to the show. Quack, quack. Quack, quack, quack. Guess who's back for the last time? Oh, hopefully. We, we can certainly make up an excuse to get our guest back on the podcast, even if we don't play them in football for a little while. Uh, that is right. We are talking about USC football you know it always seems like they were the death star being rebuilt after being blown up at some point but every time oregon was good usc was down usc was good oregon was down it's been quite a while since we got the two fully formed powers going against each other it's felt like anyways and it felt like we've we just got the Death Star. It's all shiny. It's new, and now it's going to another galaxy. Um, that being said, this season should be hopefully quite the game, uh, quite the team on both ends. And so to break that down, first of all, we got Hithliday once again from Addicted to Quack. How's it going, Hithliday? Uh, doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. We survived the UCLA roster review, which is which is a big get in general. Uh, long hours in that one. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about another LA school, another Big Ten, uh, hopefully a good school in the Big Ten. You'd hope so. I don't know. I don't even know who to root for anymore. But I do know who to listen to, and that would be the wonderful Reign of Troy podcast. I truly... I've been listening to this podcast for years. Uh, before I think I believe before we even started this podcast, it's not just a great USC podcast, which I used to listen to just because USC was bad and it was very fun to hear two USC fans just lament for me personally. Uh, now I just listen to it because it's honestly a great product and I love Pac-12 football, which used to be something they talked about. Um, so we've got one of the wonderful guests, uh, I'm sorry, one of the wonderful hosts, a recurring guest. Um, we may even re-release one of my favorite episodes in the past in which we reviewed just, uh, no, I believe every single Oregon versus USC football game in history. Uh, it was a wonderful episode. We'll have to get that up. But um the fan-sided associate, associate editor, Reign of Troy podcaster, Alicia de Ortola Castillo. How is it going, Alicia? 
Hello, hello. Thank you guys for having me back. And yeah, it's been I've always enjoyed being on your podcast. Thank you for the for the kind words about our podcast. But it's it's a little bittersweet now because yeah, it's we, we won't have occasion to talk about Pac-12 football anymore. And as excited as I am about moving to the Big Ten, I'm also in a little bit of denial about this being <laughs> the final year of Pac-12 football for USC. And and I like you, I hope that we get the epic USC Oregon showdown that we've all been waiting for because this feels like the year that it's set up for it. Uh, but we've had past years where I thought we were <laughs> set up for it and one or the other just decided to, to I mean, go downhill. I mean, Oregon didn't hold, hold up its end of the bargain. You know, this year they, they were definitely heading for it. I had all the work done. I had all of USC's games oh. charted. It was, you know, completely ready to go. And then that fourth quarter against if, Oregon It State was actually in. completely my fault. I'm glad you brought that up because I do, I do actually remember this. I got it pulled up right here. I was talking to Alicia uh, during the Oregon State game. It was halftime, oh I believe. You and I was, jinxed it? I was planning. I was like, so, looks like it's going to work out. And I <laughs> literally planned it out. And she goes like, oh, okay, sounds good. And then, like, right after the game, it's oh, it just basically like, oh, uh, yeah, okay, no, never mind. <laughs> so it was on me. It was absolutely. Man, I, I even had that article like half written. That's going to stand as one of the like, you know, in 2020, the Oregon Washington game got canceled, and I had that article half written. It's, it stands as like one of the great articles I've never written. And yeah, the Oregon USC 2022 game uh, is going to is another one of the like the greatest article I've never written. Uh, you know, I really <laughs> regret that one. Um, but this time they are actually scheduled to play. Uh, it will be in Autzen Stadium, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, and Michael and I are actually planning to go up there. Uh, oh, sweet. We, we, neither of us have been to Autzen. We're like, well, there's some sense of urgency now. So, yeah, we're that planning to, to head up. So It's going to be very be confusing time. for you. The stadium actually gets full. Oh, sh- I mean, <laughs> who, who would have thunk that a uh, college football stadium can – can fill up yeah. well now uh, it, you, you, the college good preparation for the big 10 i guess yeah, it'll be full of corn huskers and such yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but we got plenty to talk about here uh let's let's begin the hype machine uh hithel day help us get through this roster uh well before we start talking about the personnel um well i guess uh no coaching changes right i think one of two teams in the pac-12 that uh, made no coaching changes at all as far as i'm aware right yeah, the, the only change wasn't really a change. It was just to take off a, a sort of interim tag for mm-hmm. Luke Heward, the inside receivers coach who was given the full-time position um, that he had inherited uh, because of, uh, you know, tragic circumstances. Right. But uh, the rest of the staff across the board and USC fans might not like sort of part of that equation. Well, I mean, it's um, remarkable that Lincoln Riley was able to find another defensive coordinator whose name is Alex Grinch. Like that. <laughs> uh, what a coincidence. I mean, that USC fans would love that to be the case, actually. If uh, if Alex Grinch is just, um, I don't know, what do you call someone? Uh, a doppelganger is someone who looks like you with someone mm. who shares your same the same name. Yeah, whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> new man. It can't possibly be the same human being. I, I mean, <laughs> coaches coaches work in mysterious ways, and when they're friends with their defensive coordinator, things get even more 
I understand serious, lo- but... coaching can sort of be a lonely profession. It might, maybe he's like his only friend. I, 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 you never know. I mean, I think it would be really hard to fire even a not close friend of mine if I were employing them. So I, I sort of relate, but I mean, what um, else could Alex but... Grinch do if he were not employed? You know, like, you know, oh, might, be, might be scared out there. Like, yeah, I don't know. I've been looking around the uh, coaching staffs of across the country and realizing random people who are employed by random schools like Dennis Thurman is the is a quality control analyst for Colorado. I, <laughs> today I learned. So who knows? Alex Grinch could find yeah. a quality control job at yeah, like Her- Oregon State or something. Herb Hand keeps getting work. Bob Gregory <laughs> yeah. just got hired by uh, Stanford to be the safeties coach. Just like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand, man. Yeah. Let's talk about the defense. We talked about the defense. The, the in terms of you know, offensive comments, obviously, you know, fantastic offense. I, I charted all the games as I mentioned, including, you know, I went through and and charted, uh, you know, afterwards I charted the, you know, the the USC's final games of the season and the bowl game and so forth, uh, too, just for completeness things I'd rather forget to be honest. <laughs> well, I did it. <laughs> the uh it actually really not much of a fall off on the offense. You know, really ju- you know, the only thing about the 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 conference championship game that was any different at all was was simply, you know, K- Caleb Williams scramble rate, you know, falls off because he gets injured, mm-hmm. which is, you know, Caleb Williams won the Heisman, which by the way, if you recall was something that I predicted would happen. Um <laughs> In fact, I predicted it you know, two years ago. I predicted it after I watched uh, his Oklahoma true freshman season on a podcast with an Oklahoma person. Um, I was like, yeah, this guy's going to win the Heisman at the end of the 2022 season. And by the way, in case anybody is listening, don't gamble because it's immoral and wrong. But like I just finished watching uh, all of Drake May's season because Oregon played uh, UNC in the, the bowl game. He's going to win the Heisman um, some point. In the <laughs> um, well, I know, I know where my money's getting stashed. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, anyway, promo code quack 12 <laughs> at my book. <laughs> anyway, the, yeah, really, you know, it, it's, it, I think that Lincoln Riley is, is quite a, an amazing offensive mind. I'm definitely on record on that. He's, he's quite a, he's quite a treat to watch as somebody who enjoys scheme. In fact, you know, since I maintain pretty big film library and I'm a, you know, sort of a member of the film study community we trade film a lot and it's interesting because there's a bunch of like high-powered offenses in the pac 12 and i have all of their film and so i get like it's interesting what guys what what offensive coordinators i get film requests for and which ones i don't you know chip kelly's perennial uh you know right lincoln riley i get tons of film requests for because so it's so interesting the way that he uses sort of like a power run blocking scheme married with like an air raid passing tree like it's really you know genuinely fascinating and that also it's like a balanced offense in terms of like how much running he does like i mean like he genuinely wants to do you know not just running for like efficiency sake and not just you know you know not just like you know second and short you know running but like he genuinely wants to run like a a, like a balanced uh rushing offense you know there's rpos involved in it unlike most air raids yeah it's a really diverse and interesting you know playbook he puts a bunch of you know creative stuff into it whereas there are other you know offenses in the pac-12 that are really you know that finish high in in f plus like washington and uh utah that i just i never in Arizona I don't get like any requests for their film because like they're just not schematically very interesting at all like once you watch like five minutes of that tape you know 
they're it's just like oh it's the same like five plays um and like that's not true of usc like it's genuinely like very cool and very interesting to watch it was it was a treat and it was again you know i watched it for a year at oklahoma and i watched it a year for usc and i was like this is still very cool uh there is a question that i have for you about like how cool it was uh, actually i have a couple of questions uh number one is for alicia did you sort of feel like lincoln riley ran out of gas a little bit at around halftime in a lot of games like it's sort of like the level of creativity would sort of go down and it would go back to sort of being you know a few bread and butter plays in in the second half in, in a few games were you picking up on that at all um i gotta be honest with you i think i was just so taken with the the offensive output and scheme that i don't know if i would have been capable of of tracking that kind of trend Hmm. Um, because sort of, as you, as you've said, you know, Riley's offense is just really fun to watch. It's, it's creative and, and inventive and, and it, and it does all of the things that we've heard Clay Helton and his offensive coordinators say they wanted to do, <laughs> but never could pull off. And I think that I was just sort of taken the entire time with like, no, Lincoln Riley is like that. I get why you all wanted to, to, to have the philosophy that you guys had from Clay, Clay Hilton to T. Martin to whoever, uh, Graham Harrell and the like. But Lincoln Riley actually does it, and that was so refreshing that it was yeah. just like all of it looked good to me, all of it at all times. Um, I do think that there was probably a sensation in the third quarter of the, the third quarter being um, a little bit more of a – and I and I don't know if the stats necessarily back this up because I, I haven't done an exploration of that. But I do remember thinking that maybe the third quarter was a, a sort of weaker period across the board for USC. But I don't know if I, – I couldn't say for sure if it was because the play calling or, or design or anything that was being used in the third quarter was – any any different or less imaginative i think that there was just a sensation of maybe usc comes out of halftime needing a little bit of time to sort of settle down and settle in uh that would that would have been my guess but you you would probably have a better sense being the person like tracking and and examining these things on a on a sort of micro level uh so yeah well and then the other thing well, the other thing that I'll say about it that, that was sort of interesting is that the, you know, uh, when most people sort of think of, I I think when I think of other people thinking about Lincoln Riley, boy, that was a complex sentence, <laughs> that they're probably thinking about the passing offense. The thing that's remarkable is the rushing offense. Uh, like I said, absolutely very, very balanced offense, very effective offense. And across the board, it is both efficient, it is and explosive, and it you know is consistently getting. I mean, they averaged uh, outside of garbage time in controlling for very long runs and just chopping them down to forty. You know, so making your adjustments, still getting about five point eight yards per carry every single carry outside of garbage time and, and chopping out the forties. Five point eight is very good, and then seventeen and a half were getting ten plus yards. And and again, these they were not reserving them the way that like Washington, for example, Washington had a very uh, efficient um, rushing offense, but they sort of goosed their efficiency numbers because they would really only run on like second and one, you know? So it's like, well, yeah, you're super efficient when you only have to run and and pick up a single yard. You know, uh, that's not USC's game at all. They were extremely balanced. They could run at any, you know, point. And here's the thing. Their rushing efficiency was 63%, which is, in my experience, anything above 60% is championship caliber. Like, this was one of the 
few, you know, extremely efficient elite level rushing, you know, efficiency offenses. And on top of that, it was explosive. Unlike a lot of other teams that are efficiency running game, like Utah, for example, it was a pretty efficient running game, but it was just because they wanted to get like four yards and convert. USC was like blowing the doors open when they would run, you know? So like, and, and, and which a cool i guess i'll stop there for a second wasn't that cool alicia oh my god yes that was so cool <laughs> that's <laughs> i i think that's the thing that surprised usc fans so much because like i said we had gone through a period where clay helton talked about wanting to run the ball and then mm-hmm. watching usc there would be times where it felt like okay we're running the ball all right but but not consistently ever. And even with, even with really exciting running backs, like, you know, Ronald Jones that you could go and and be excited to watch. It still felt like the running game was always um, in danger of just falling apart. Uh, Whether it was because you were facing an opponent who had you sort of figured out or because you were getting out physical or whatever it would be. Um, This was, this was brilliant to watch just to, to, to sort of be validated in some of my criticism yeah. of, of USC over the, over the previous years where it was, this isn't about the running backs that USC has. This isn't about even the play calling. It's about the play design. It's about the blocking scheme. It's about yeah. putting your offensive line in position to succeed. Uh, we had Which, seen like, USC. I don't even, I, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit yeah. here. I don't even think the offensive line was that great, but I they, do think the play design was great. And that's my, and that's the thing that USC has, will go over a lot of attrition on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that there there are two things that sort of calm any nerves I have about that level of attrition for you, for USC. Number one, obviously they've brought in a bunch of transfers that you're, that we can get excited about. And I have, I, I have a good feeling about uh, the, the offensive line coach, Josh Henson, seems to be doing a good job of getting those guys ready to execute the offense. But when it comes down to it, USC doesn't need offensive linemen who are like the uber NFL prospects to have this scheme be successful because it puts them in a position to succeed in a way that USC had not put their NFL prospects in the previous regime. You know, USC was producing, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker and and a bunch of guys who went in the first round of the NFL draft. And they were just sort of like acting on their own where it feels like this scheme is, is, is unified and, and, and built for success in a way that, that just, pales in comparison to to all of the other the the schemes that we've seen over the last decade so you don't necessarily need uh you i i I don't necessarily need to worry about the fact that usc is replacing their left tackle and their left guard and the right guard and 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 so and so because it's all about this scheme you don't need your offensive linemen to be all americans um you just need them to be in the right spot doing a very simple job that's not asking too much of them which was Mm -hmm. the thing that usc used to do as well it's like everyone talked about you know why you know why why was brett nealon so so terrible against byu in in uh 2019 well it's because he wasn't a big dude and he was getting destroyed by kiris tonga one-on-one every play like you were asking him to do something he could not do and I don't think that this scheme ever does that to these individual offensive linemen and it's so uh refreshing and then you get to really enjoy 
you know, someone you guys would have been familiar with, Travis Dye. Like, we got to really enjoy him as a running yeah. back because he, he the the he was allowed to do his thing, and we got to see him shine. Yeah. And we also got to see Austin Jones do his thing. And and the the encouraging thing about all of that is when Travis Dye got injured, Austin Jones came in and it didn't feel like USC was skipping a beat because again, it's not about the individual player. Uh, most of the players on USC's offense are at a certain talent level that you don't need to worry about a huge drop off from, from one to the other, um, at least at that position. When you're running a scheme that actually works, you can replace a Travis die with an Austin Jones in your offense and and your run game can still be uh, extremely effective. Although I'll say like Travis die is one of my favorite rushers to watch in a USC uniform in a, in a, in a long while. So, yeah, no, I mean the, the, the running backs, I mean, that's why, you know, like advanced stats, you know, they, they don't really even start crediting the running back until he's like four or five yards downfield, you know, like, yes. uh, you know, and it's so weird talking to a lot of PAC 12, you know, t- you know, writers who are like, they, they talk about the running back as though the running back is creating the play, which like hell yes. for a lot of offensive lines, like that's true, you know, cause the line is so bad that the running back has to like, well, I guess I got to do all of this myself. And like, when you finally see a well-designed play, you know, running play, you're like, Oh, you know, that's what, I mean, I, I, I sort of, I, I disagree with the way that you're, you know, pr- pr- presenting the like, Oh, we don't have to worry about the offensive line. You always have to worry about your offensive line like always at all times yeah, that's fair <laughs> um, like uh and i am actually really interested to see how this like transfer situation works out because i'm not um i'm still not sold on the concept of transfer offensive line like the data on that question is not is not clear yet but let's talk about the offensive line we could talk about the offensive line i definitely do, do agree with you 100 percent on the concept of like you can design your running plays in ways that you can design running plays in ways that assume you have NFL linemen. And then if you don't, you, your run game goes nowhere. And it's been bizarre to watch many PAC 12 teams over the years, just be like, I don't understand why our run game goes nowhere. And it's like, well, you Schmendrick, like, you know, uh, (laughs) you don't have NFL linemen and you, you know, and then Lincoln Riley is just like, you know, well, how about I design my run play better? You know, like, yes. yeah. And like, and, and now does that mean that you never have to worry about who your offensive linemen are and that you could put in like cheerleaders and mascots and it doesn't matter? No, like that's a silly thing to <laughs> yeah. believe. Um, but like, yeah, designing your run game better matters. Yeah. A hundred percent. The point uh, that I wanted to bring up, you know, when bringing up the, uh, the, the run game was that what's interesting is that looking at the past, passing game is that you know the explosive numbers in the passing game are of course incredible you know like you know 21 percent of plays are gaining of passes are gaining you know tw- uh, 15 plus yards they're getting almost you know nine yards per passing attempt you know which is very good um there are a surprising number of incompletions just slightly weird and, and they're actually below championship caliber efficiency you know like in terms you know it's like 56 percent um 
And, uh, you know, a lot of that I, I actually do think has to do with the offensive line. I just don't think that they were giving Caleb Williams the protection that would have been, you know, like I, I think if this team did make the playoffs, they probably would have gotten like just hammered by Georgia, frankly. Because absolutely. He, um, and I think that even if Caleb Williams were healthy, like if he, you know, recovered from, from, from that injury, because like let's, you know, that, that was the other thing I sort of wanted to point out is that like the instant he, he pulled that hammy, I think that's what it was against you. Yeah. Yeah, he pulled the hamstring. Yeah, it's just like, oh man, you know, like he, that's, I mean, you know, look, he absolutely deserved the Heisman. I was on record as saying so. In fact, I was there before a lot of people. <laughs> um, but like one of the things that he was doing was sort of, you know, and I'm on record too as saying, I think that Lincoln Riley isn't a totally awesome offensive coordinator, but he made Lincoln Riley look even better than really he even is because, you know, a quarterback who's able to do that you know, and sort of bail you out, you know, is totally awesome. And the instant that ability goes away, it's sort of like, well, he's on his back a lot. Uh, that, that really sucks. Yeah. He, he's a cheat code. I think we can, yeah. I, I yeah, think yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fair to say that you can have all the respect in the world for Lincoln Riley and the offense and all of that, but Lincoln Riley's offense still needs a, a quarterback who's, who's capable of, of, um, of getting the most out of it. And we've seen with the quarterbacks that he's had more often than not, he's had a quarterback that's been capable. Um, And we saw, and we saw where it might've been a little lacking in when, you know, I think Spencer Radler was not Mm -hmm. quite up to the level of the others. And Caleb Williams as a freshman was dealing with a freshman thing, but Caleb Williams is also an absolute cheat code that, you know, with let's say Miller Moss at the home last year, Mm -hmm. um, USC doesn't win 11 games. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it would be fair to, to expect that. Like Caleb Williams honestly accounts for, for, I, I don't know, three to five wins just by being an absolute once one in a million kind of yeah. uh, playmaker. Yeah. As an, is an improviser and as a playmaker. Yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not sure I could quantify it down to like, they would have lost this game if not for that's a, boy there's a lot of variables oh yeah yeah but like i i know what you mean you know like uh yeah you know like you know he he definitely improves the offense to a degree that's not just uh trivial you know it's not icing on the cake it it was necessary and here's the other thing that i'll say you know to to sort of here i just praised lincoln riley a bit let me walk back some of that praise uh so in in the spirit of walking back some of the praise of lincoln riley i think there were a number of games where it was like, Link, there is a very big discrepancy in the efficiency between your run game and your passing game. Run the fucking ball, you idiot. Um, like Arizona, for example. Like, he would have walked away with that game instead of it being a nail-biter, um, you know, if he just run the ball. And, and Arizona's not the only one. Like, Oregon State, for example. Massive discrepancy in Oregon State's run uh, defense versus its pass defense. Why are you throwing the ball against Oregon State when they can't stop the run at all? And I think there's three other examples i I won't keep going because i'm sure you know what i'm talking about right alicia or do you want to disagree with me no no i absolutely agree with you i part of me feels like would it be an offensive coordinator if if you didn't want to sit there and scream run the damn ball yeah i suppose there are schools out there that have the opposite problem that maybe run the ball too much Mm -hmm. but that has certainly never 
felt like a USC problem. <laughs> it's always just like take advantage of, of, of what you've got going on the ground. Uh, John you Robinson, had, I sometimes had a problem. Well, that's back in the day. Yeah. Pulling out, pulling out uh, decades yeah. <laughs> going back. But, uh, the, but the you know, two I, best I, coaches that USC ever had were former Oregon players, by the way, both of the Johns. Uh, we'll see. So, yeah. So that's our, that's our secret weapon. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Time to oh, hire yeah, Justin Wilcox. Justin Justin Wilcox. <laughs> that would make USC fans very happy. <laughs> uh, not. Uh, although that would be a funny defensive coordinator or, hire. Or Bill uh, Musgrave. Or uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, or Sermon, Peter yeah. Sermon. Oh, Sermon. That's a... Yeah, man. Oh, there's, there's, yeah, no, now uh, former Oregon players in the coaching ranks have not covered themselves in glory. Right? <laughs> 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 you shouldn't do that. Hey, you'll always have McKay. Um <laughs> But uh, no, I, I, I agree with you. And, and I think that there's also the sense of, of protecting his quarterback a little bit more um, because like I said, Caleb Williams is a cheat code, but he's also human. And I think yeah. that one of the things you brought up is, is the idea that, you know, there were a lot of in, incompletions and the efficiency wasn't great. And at times if you watched uh, Caleb, I mean, that Oregon state game is a really good example. People were speculating Mm-hmm. That the um, that the 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 arc of the um, of the playing field was doing something to him <laughs> as far as his ability to throw because of something about water drainage or something like that. And I'm just sitting there going mm-hmm. like, no, he just had he had a bad day. He, he mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you just don't got your stuff, and he didn't have his stuff on that day in terms of passing the ball. And well, I think that and they're, also they're, Oregon State had, you know, by the end of the year, people had figured out they had a pretty you know, two. Their cornerbacks were both seniors, and they both went on to the NFL. Like they, I know it was sort of confusing because they weren't very good up until that year. But by the end of the year, everybody had figured it out. And that game, I think, right. was like week four or week five of the season. So it was, like, yeah, you know, pe- people didn't really know it at that point. But yeah, retroactively, you can definitely see, like, yeah, don't don't throw against that defense, man. You should just run yeah. the ball. Yeah, and I, and I think that's um, this happens, right? You know, no coach is perfect, no player is perfect, and I think that these are the lessons that you would that it, you know you want your offensive coordinator or head coach or quarterback or whoever to sort of learn from. But that is a game that I think you circle if you're a USC fan or a rival, I guess, and rooting for USC to lose as, you know, potential pitfalls that come later on is is that you can have a night where Caleb's not, and he he ended up creating the incredible plays that he needed to at the end to get that win. Yeah. Yeah, That whole shot throw. I mean, it's like, yeah. That's yeah. that's there's, that's I mean, Williams. the number of people yeah. on the planet who can make that throw, you know, you can count them on oh, who are playing at the college level in any given moment. You can count them on one hand, you know, yeah. like there's a yeah. reason why then when those guys, you know, become, you know, eligible to go to the NFL, you know, go in the first round. Yeah, exactly. But it's also the job of the coach to make sure that it doesn't have to come down to that kind of play. Now, if you're playing Georgia and it has to come down to that kind of play, then, you know, thank God you have Caleb Williams. But no offense to Oregon State, who I, is a program that I, I really like the direction they're going in under Jonathan Smith. And I think were obviously a very competitive team last year that people you know may have overlooked. But you can't let it come down to that kind of play um, in, in that matchup when you have advantages somewhere else on the field. Uh, and so maybe over-reliance on Caleb Williams is uh, – is, going to be part of the story uh, as, as we look forward to like the 2023 season 
um, you know, I think you talk, you, uh, you mentioned that you have Drake May winning the Heisman. I think that's a fair bet because I think there's a fair bet that Caleb Williams in, in terms of the sort of like statistics machine that he was last year is, is going to necessarily take a step back because uh, you can't necessarily repeat all of these things uh, at, at the high level that he, that he was doing. And that's something that USC is going to have to, that I'm going to be interested to see USC contend with is the idea that like, if you get 42 touchdowns, five interceptions out of Caleb Williams again, I, I just wouldn't put money on that being yeah. the case. Well, it was the thing that was interesting was that, you know, when I broke it down situationally, you know, me, you know, down a distance situationally is that like, look, you know, this team's a buzzsaw except for in one situation. And it's, you know, it's not going to surprise anybody. It's third and long, which like, you know, every, every <laughs> team's, you know, but it's like, hey, hey, they have like championship, you know, level efficiency in every down and distance except for third and long. And, but the reason is because they're super predictable on third and uh-huh. long. Um, you know, they, they, you know, first of all, there's literally one time in, uh, in the entire season, you know, excluding garbage time that they ran the ball. It was all passing and their playbook kicked, get constrained like it was really that was the other reason that i was asking about maybe running out of gas is a little bit is like mm. lincoln riley really only called about four different plays on third and long and, and i sort of feel like i know he's not a young man young man i mean he's not like he's 22 years old or anything but like i am a little interested to see he hasn't actually been a head coach for that long people sort of forget that but like he's he's still kind of young and i am and i still do sort of think he's evolving um, and I am interested to see, you know, how this goes as he's sort of growing up because I, I still think that's happening. Don't you? I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> your, your one at USC was, was extremely encouraging, but I think your one at USC in the context of the previous, what was it? Five years at Oklahoma, yeah. six years, um, in the context of that, he, he has to still be growing if he intends to be a championship winning head coach. And, and it's, you know, some of that is, is less of, less of it is on the offensive end because in terms of just being a, an offensive coach, uh, he could go take over as an offensive coordinator for whatever program that's contending for a title and absolutely win championships because that's, that's his one job. But I think as a head coach, there are still questions that he has to answer. Um, number one about his, his decision-making and evaluation of what his defense is going to look like and what his defense mm-hmm. coordinator is going to look like or what standards he's going to, he's going to leave um, to him, but also just like the head coaching of it all. I, I think and not to get terribly off topic, but go in a, in a different direction, but you look at the end of the season and, and I would wager you've seen the Utah and ta- way more of the Utah and Tulane games than I have, because mm-hmm. I have put both of those games completely out of my brain and mm-hmm. never want to think about them again. And, and part of that was, question of decision making a question of game management a question of keeping your team in sort of in the right mindset because it felt like was a team that wasn't prepared to win that game win a game that even with the way the defense was playing they still should have won and they just dropped the ball literally and figuratively and if you look back at sort of the history of 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 Lincoln Riley's um career I think that Oklahoma fans would have had questions about his ability to manage a team to those to those levels his bowl record isn't great 
mm-hmm. um, his his uh, sort of record in in those games that elevate you into the the upper echelon of of of, of coaches. You know, the games that Nick Saban wins, the game that Kirby, the games that Kirby yeah. Smart wins, the game games that Dabo Swinney wins. Like those are the games that I don't think we've seen him win yet. Um, but like you said, and it's very valid. He's very young. Like not just in terms of he's been a head coach for seven years now, I think Uh, dude's 39. He's not even in his forties yet. Like he's, he's got time to learn those lessons and, and to grow as a coach. And um, to me, that's, that's an, an argument for patience from a USC perspective, because um, the idea is not for him to come in and, and, win a championship, you know, in, in 2023 or else the idea is for him, for him to be the head coach at USC in 2030 and, and competing for championships. So, um, there's a little bit of a tangent, but, no, no. <laughs> but sort of that's, I mean, that's you're absolutely right because you know, there's, there's three different things. I mean, he's taking on, he, he takes on a bunch of different roles cause he's also the, you know, in addition to all of these things, he's the play caller and quarterbacks coach. So like, naturally I want to talk about all those things, but he's all, you know, the, the things that any head coach has to do, he's the, you know, the, the personnel manager for his entire staff, which like, look, the whole defense, you know, was shot through with problems last year and he decided to keep them all. And like, he's got to own that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also, you know, all the roster management questions, which is what we're going to spend the the balance of this podcast talking about, which like I he's been fairly aggressive, like certainly way more aggressive than Clay Helton, who is very complacent, as mm-hmm. we've talked about for years, Alicia. But like, I, I think that there are some questions about whether he's about he's been aggressive enough like i think there are maybe some guys that i there are some positions that i sort of have questions about i will ask you all of those questions <laughs> but like you know I, i'm not sure if he's as aggressive as i i, I might have been in his position i'm curious about those things too and he's got to wear all those hats man that's a lot of hats to be wearing at 39 years old like he's the play yes. caller the quarterbacks coach the 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 manager of a you know uh, that many different you know staff members and the roster manager and like, I'm not sure anybody taught him how to do any of those things. In fact, I think he's had to like teach himself how to do all of those things. Yeah. And, oh, yeah also, and he has to do it in the media spotlight of Los Angeles. Good. Good luck Link. with with an athletic director who's under investigation for um, and 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 ultimately fired for, you know, yeah, right. being a prick. Like, by the way, I, I, I hereby nominate Alicia D'Artela Castillo to be the next <laughs> athletic director at USC. Like she was not a former player uh, at USC of, on the football team. And so therefore yes. can't possibly embarrass the team as bad as Swan or Garrett or Hayden. Um, so like, hey, unlikely to harass women. Uh, uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah knows can, the can, team all right. Um, I can I could safely say that that is uh, I I would I would uh, not be in danger of making inappropriate comments towards uh, <laughs> towards anyone in in the office, uh, which is I think should be a bare minimum for all human beings, but apparently it's not. Uh, so. <laughs> but also, um, 
I was about to say they couldn't pay me to do that job, but then I realized, like, I don't know, like a few yeah, million dollars a year is is definitely something that I would be interested in. So maybe that could be negotiated. <laughs> <laughs> I have, by the way, uh, studied that Tulane film uh, extensively. Oregon hired uh, Chris Hampton off of Tulane staff. Um, and uh, okay. So, yeah, I spent quite a bit of time with that game. It was a very enjoyable experience. If, if you enjoy offenses being buzzsaws, then that game is absolutely um, – <laughs> a master a master work i think let's start out talking about the quarterbacks i feel like caleb williams pretty well understood at this point backup situation uh, you know miller moss uh, played a little bit garbage time they as far as i can tell there's only one other guy on scholarship because brad aoki and uh, mohasan have both left and that guy is malachi nelson the the true freshman uh five star how do you think that goes down pretty clear that malachi nelson is the heir apparent mm-hmm. based on spring camp uh, miller moss is still the backup but I'm also, and I've I've been kind of vocal about this, and it and it's not necessarily it's not based on anything. It's just a vibe I got that if Miller Moss was somebody that Lincoln Riley really trusted to take Caleb Williams's place, we would have seen him against Utah. Hmm. Uh, what what Caleb Williams did against Utah is maybe an argument for you know what, just keep the guy with half a hamstring uh, in the game because he he did almost do enough to win that game in the end. Yeah, uh, but-, but also there was a point in that game where it just like the, the, he could not move and he needed yeah. to be able to move. And I was screaming for just, just put me like your offense. And this is what we got back to earlier, right? The scheme is good. Like the scheme is good. The scheme is capable. I know. The, like, wh- Why didn't he put in Miller Moss to just hand the ball to Travis? Or I guess Travis Dye was out to, at that point. But he, uh, Austin uh, Jones. Jones and Relique Brown a million times. Yeah. Like, and, and that's, and that's uh, again, I think a decision-making question that is it hard to bench your Heisman winning quarterback uh, with injury if, if he's insisting he can play? I don't think that's necessarily an easy decision to make. But also, if you trusted Miller Moss, Miller Moss would have been in that game. And the fact that he wasn't, um, maybe I think I'm, I'm probably reading too much into it, but the fact that he wasn't makes me a little bit more wary of the actual viability of Miller Moss as a uh, in-case-of-emergency like if something, no. God forbid, happened to Caleb Williams, who would be the quarterback that would take over? At this exact moment, Malachi Nelson is not ready. I don't know that we could say that in October. That might I be mean, different. I think that's a fair inference. And I mean, honestly, he he was the guy who made the Williams versus Rattler call in 2021. You know, yes. so, you know, if anybody's thinking like, well, maybe that means that Lincoln Riley's a dummy, like, uh, you know, maybe he is but probably not about quarterbacks. So I don't know. I, I think you're probably right on that question on the other hand i still probably would have put in moss and had to hand the ball off same same and and i would expect miller moss to be the for all intents and purposes backup going into the season regardless of how malachi nelson progresses i think just the 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 depth chart will read caleb williams miller moss and malachi nelson yeah my brain just goes to okay it's it's you know october 11th and caleb williams can't go back in the game when he picks up an injury who's and the game is on the line who who is actually or or if USC needs for the next you know the next month of the season someone needs to take over who is USC really going to turn to i i have questions yeah i i think it might also depend on like what what the nature of the injury is if it's like williams is done for the season and he's just going to go to the nfl now 
Maybe yeah. you go with Nelson. Maybe you're just like, yeah. all right, the future is now Malachi. It's yours. Whereas if it's like, oh, he just needs to get some Gatorade, you know, yeah. then, yeah, that, you know, yeah, you don't, you don't risk throwing Malachi Nelson in when he's not, you know, when he's not prepared for that. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but it's, it's also a, a scenario. I, I, <laughs> I really hope that I ponder yeah. for no good reason that doesn't have any, like that isn't something we need sure. to end up talking about on the podcast. In we're, 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 we're all knocking on wood, but you know, yeah. that's what, uh, you know, reality. that's what the offensive line, you know, it, yeah. impending conversation is going to be about yeah. uh, running backs. Travis Dye was sadly lost for the season uh, about 10 games in. He wound up with the Jets. Austin, but everybody else returns, I believe, who carried the ball, right? Uh, Austin Jones, Relique Brown, Darwin Barlow. Uh, yes. Yes. Well, yeah. and the, but, but that's it for the returners, right? I don't, I don't Yes. Of, of the guys who returned. Yes. And then they brought in um, uh, t- two true freshmen, Quentin Joyner and Marion Peterson, and then one transfer guy, Marshawn Lloyd from South Carolina, right? Yes. Okay. Joyner and Peterson were both blue chips, and I believe they were both available for spring. Actually, pretty you know damn loaded uh, running back room. I think that Barlow was probably the low man on the totem pole. If you were going to break out, he would have broken out by now. Brown is interesting because he did play in 14 games, and had like 42 carries, which if like that were evenly distributed, I'd be like, hmm, that, that's interesting. But it wasn't. It's like it's mostly in like games against like Colorado and Rice. And I, I do think he like flashed. But like, I don't know. Uh, uh, I'll pause for a second. What did you think about really Brown? Um, I I would agree with you. I think he he flashed and it looked like they were not willing to use him like an every down back. The, the depth got a little bit dicey after Travis mm-hmm. Dye went down. And I, I want to say Austin Jones even had was knocked up a little bit, which is why uh, we saw we did see a little bit of Darwin Barlow and and more of Raleigh Brown in those sort of every down back situations. But it always felt like they they didn't know they don't know what to do with him. They didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. I want to one of the storylines that came out of spring camp was that he was playing slot receiver a little bit. Really? And yes. And wait, that, wait, that's, Brown or Barlow? Oh, sorry. Not, not Barlow, uh, really Brown. Okay. Yeah. Really Brown was sort of working as a, as a slot receiver at times. Hmm. And I think that that is probably given the fact that they added Marshawn Lloyd, given the fact that they return Austin Jones and that they have the two freshmen who are, uh, who actually both had some encouraging moments in the spring game, which you can take for what it's worth, uh, that, Relique Brown is probably going to have to just end up being a little bit of scat back and utilized in in those sort of more receiving role than as a part of the actual running back rotation. I'm not going to rule out the the idea that he could be part of the actual running back rotation. I'm just I I, I think that our evidence from 2022 with the way that Travis Dye and Austin Jones were used is that it'll just be Austin Jones and Marshawn Lloyd in a similar dynamic um, yeah. and that really Brown will have to get his touches as uh, as a receiving option. Um, it, it's just that Brown is like a little smaller. You know? He's, like, he's, he's under, uh, he's yeah, he's, he's small, he's small and quick. Yeah. And whereas the freshmen who come in Joyner and Peterson, like they, they come in even as true freshmen, whereas Brown now is a true sophomore, like the true freshmen come in bigger than he is now. Yeah. Uh, 
and I just got to figure that they like if if they have to reach down to a third, like obviously it's Jones and Lloyd. Like why wouldn't it be? They're so much more experienced and ready to play, you know, right now. But if they have to reach down to a third back, I don't think it's going to be Barlow. Like that ship has sailed, and I think they're going to reach for one of the true freshmen rather than Brown. I you know, it, yeah, because, it, it, because of the size issue. Yes, the size issue. Um, uh, you know, it you you can't get away from it. He's 5'8", 185. Yeah. They, they don't necessarily trust him to run between the tackles, and I don't think they necessarily trust him um, as a, a blocker in the backfield, which mm-hmm. is always the, the, the yeah. thing that tends to keep uh, young running backs off the field is usually like you can't yeah, right. you got to be there in pass pro, dude. But And that's a skill that he can develop, but he can't exact, exactly make himself – six foot 220 or anything like that like uh like darwin barlow is or or you know like you said peterson and 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 joiner are both 200 plus and that's before they get into a college weight room so right exactly uh getting more creative with relief brown is definitely going to be a narrative that we're going to see for usc the question with these narratives is always can you pull it off because we heard that narrative with other similarly sized smaller running backs at usc that it was like, oh, we'll use them in the slot, and then it's like, well, how often are you actually throwing him out there in the slot? Um, yeah. How many how many touches are you actually giving him to justify him even staying on your roster? I think it's a a, a balancing game with well, him that it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, yeah, Alicia. I mean, honestly, like this is one of the sort of like I'm not sure if this was a, as aggressive of a roster management as I would have done. Like, I think I probably would have ditched. Like, I probably would have ditched Brown and Barlow and tried to pick up another two, another back or two out of the portal. Probably just one back, but like a proven back, and especially uh, yeah, to to replace those guys because I sort of think that they're wasted scholarships at this point. Like, do you think I'm being too harsh? Um, I, you, I think you might be being a bit harsh on Relief Brown as a, as a, a prospect that USC would love to figure out. Um, I, I think that with Darwin Barlow, the fact that he's stayed is probably a sign that the coaches like whatever it is that he's doing in the background, because like you said, he hasn't, he, he would have been primed for a, yeah, go, go find somewhere where you can actually touch the ball on the field, whatever it is that he's doing on the practice field or in it just in general is, is clearly enough for the coaches to want him around. Um, and, and what he showed in the in games that he did get in, it, it, it wasn't so much of a drop off that it was like, yeah, you're, you're, you're wasting um, a spot there. Cause yeah, you would need to go quite a, quite a ways down the, the pecking order for him to be getting, mm-hmm significant touches in a game but if he ended up getting significant touches in a game I, I don't know that the coaches would feel like well now it's a disaster and now it's a disaster zone I think with really brown it's really just he's a unique talent and who wouldn't want a guy with that kind of speed available to them is he does he play on special teams I he can be a, a return man uh, there's been discussions of him being a return man uh I I want to say that he didn't do a ton of returning though last year. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think hey, he might've been sort of the secondary returner technically uh, because if, if you can think of an easy way to get him some touches, certainly returns would be, be it. Let me see. Oh, he was the primary kickoff return man. Yeah. 
didn't yeah. do anything with it, but he was. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> to show, I mean, to sometimes show how a guy that you don't off. mind if he gets hurt, like, uh, yeah, okay, let's use him on. He's fast. Yeah. I don't care yeah. if he gets hurt. Yeah, it might be worth burning the scholarship on. All right, yeah. Alicia, it is now time for a question that I believe I've asked you five years running. Uh, what is up with the tight end room? <laughs> okay, you want to talk about you want to talk about players who it's hard to justify their existence on your <laughs> roster. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's I, with like three guys leaving, and I still think they're <laughs> wasting scholarships. And 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 it's it's unfortunate because like who they've got, I, I really like Lake McCree mm-hmm. as a prospect, but I've also really liked pretty much all of the frontline tight end options that USC has had over the last five years. And yet none of them have had a role that is realistic. I think. Yeah, no, that's actually a much more fair way of putting it. It's just like that. They have, you know, Graham Harrell. And then this, I mean, this offense can use a tight end, but they don't use this type of tight end. No. And, and, and they have, you know, it's not like the tight ends weren't on the field. Like the tight ends were doing a job for USC. It's just like, it feels like someone like Lake McCree who could be a, a legitimate receiving option is, is being wasted where, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a Josh follower or Malcolm Epps, you understand why they're on the field. They're sort of yeah. big body, big, big guys who are doing the blocking for you. I think it's very, very telling just for your purposes of, of what is USC doing with the tight ends? Deuce Robinson. Five-star tight end. USC yeah. just uh, beat out uh, Georgia to sign him, right? Mm-hmm. When USC announced him on Twitter, the graphic that they put listed him as a wide receiver. Well, I think that was just so, by default, though, right? You know, just like I mean, that's the only key they've got on the keyboard, you know? Uh, b- pretty that much, defensive yeah. back, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, but but yeah, I don't I don't I don't know what the the future of the position is. Like you said, like Mark Andrews, I think. Uh, thrived in a Lincoln Riley offense as a tight end. So it's like you said, I think the bigger issue for the tight ends is always just like, well, you could throw to Lake McCree or you could also just throw to Mario Williams or Brendan Rice or Dorian Singer. Now, like I I, I think the biggest issue it's, it's the same issue as really Brown. You have a, you have a, 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 an intriguing um, target that you can use or hand the ball off to or throw the ball to. And they're sort of, more unique and interesting and all of that kind of stuff. But also you have these wide receivers over here who are all fighting to eat as well. And like in the end, those are the guys that are getting the attention and the, the sort of, um, well, you could do something interesting with the tight yeah. end or you could do something interesting with the running back. Like it just, it get used, it gets used once or twice. And then it's like, well, yeah, but you know. go back to your bread and butter. So That's sort of, what are you yeah, do? exactly. I mean, it's sort of why I wanted to open up and talk about the Lincoln Riley of it all is that I do sort of think that he, you know, he, he kind of gets fascinated by certain things, but then it's like, Oh, but then I also just want to do, the, you know, like, how about I do the things that score? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me let me actually do the recitation here. So the three departures are Josh Follow, um, um, uh, who I believe ran out of eligibility. Uh, yes. Malcolm Epps transferred out, I think, for his final year of eligibility. And then yes. Ethan Ray, I believe, is medically retired. Yes. Lake McCree returns. He's still got a couple of years of eligibility left. And I think Jude Wolf still has one more year of eligibility left. <sighs> Yes. Somehow. Not sure how, because, I, I, you know, I, I think John McKay recruited him. <laughs> I, I really only think I saw him as a blocker on a couple of plays, though. Right. I don't think he caught any passes. He, no, he 
his big issue is he just cannot stay healthy. But when they yeah. when they put him in there, he's definitely not. Uh, w- whether whether it's because of all of the injuries he's dealt with, and that he's he's just not as dynamic as he was when he was coming out in high school. Because mm-hmm. um, the feeling when he was coming out of high school was that he was the perfect sort of in between of of uh, the the perfect blend of he can block, but he can also be a receiving option and it feels like he like many others in history the lore of usc tight ends has just sort of been devolved into he's a body who's blocking now yeah they have uh in terms of quote-unquote new guys uh that there's it's interesting because so so there's carson tabarachi who is the linebacker they swiped from utah at the last minute but then uh they've switched him now he didn't actually play linebacker at usc i think last year uh but now they switched him over to tight end um is that correct yes that's correct and i I think i I want to say he was injured last season which is why he didn't do anything but uh i could be thinking of someone else i've basically never seen this work um and i i I don't know do you think this is gonna work he's a body they needed a body for spring that i think i think they needed a body for spring and they're probably gonna need a body for the the fall yeah i'm not putting a bunch of staking a bunch of hope yeah that this is a, a big thing you already mentioned the freshman Deuce Robinson. Very, very interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out. I mean, he very well may break onto the field, you know, as a true freshman. Uh, his talent would certainly justify it. They took a, a high three-star Cade Eldridge. Not sure why, to be perfectly honest. Like, a, n- no disrespect to him. It's just sort of like I don't understand, given everybody else who can catch a ball in this offense and and given that they're willing to burn scholarships on Lake McCree and Jude Wolf and Carson Tabarachi, and they've already got Deuce Robinson, I don't get it with Kate Eldridge. Do you think I'm being a jerk here, Alicia? Uh, no, I, I think that uh, Kate Eldridge was a scholarship that was factored in before they were certain that Deuce Robinson was coming to USC because mm-hmm. uh, Deuce Deuce went beyond the signing the you know signing day in February. Yeah. He yeah, didn't make a decision until late. And so I, I would wager it was sort of just an insurance pol- an insurance policy for the body the bodies that they needed yeah. at tight end. They don't need any bodies at tight end, Alicia. I, this should be a four-way offense. The saddest thing is I know <laughs> Alicia loves the tight end touchdown. I love yeah, the tight end. Uh... But I'm also... I never get I, I it fills my heart with joy that every time there's anything going on with the tight end immediately my mentions on Twitter get flooded by people pointing it out <laughs> to me because I, I genuinely love the tight end like one of my favorite things about covering the NFL now for for fansided.com is just getting to like talk about Travis Kelsey nice. occasionally mm-hmm. and like the, how much fun it is to watch the Chiefs and like Travis Kelsey be Travis Kelsey like that's my ideal life to be living but also I am I am now become the person who every year we get the question about like what's going on with the tight ends and every year i'm like well yeah i get it but also like (laughs) we're also watching drake london be amazing and and like you know uh, who do you want to who do you want to see more of the ball lake mccree or dorian singer like you considered becoming uh, a utah fan because i hear they have tight ends yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah oh uh, that's uh, the most painful part of playing Utah every year. Is just like, okay, but why, why can't we stop their tight ends, and why aren't our <laughs> tight ends doing that? Um, 
Well, you, you think you're in pain watching Andy Ludwig. Um, <laughs> uh, I do have one more question for you about the tight ends. I, I know that he's not coming in this year, but they uh, secured the recruitment of Walker Lyons. Um, he's going on an LBS mission. I, I have seen some conflicting reports about whether or not he's going to come in in 2024 or 2025. Do you know the answer to that question? Just for my so, records. So I'm, conf- I'm a little bit confused on it too. I know for sure that when he signed, the discussion was that he had already started the mission or, or something mm. of that, something of that nature. And so that he was sort of going to be on an accelerated getting him back in time for, uh, for it. So that it wouldn't be the full two years because the two the clocks on the clock on the two years had already started. So you'd only really uh, miss a year. Um, so you're betting that, on 24. So that would be, if he comes back for 24, that would be the reason why. Okay. Um, but I also don't know for a fact that that is the case. Uh-huh. So I right. think that you can look at it and, and sort of pencil in for 24, but it also wouldn't be surprising at all if all of that information is just sort of a <laughs> misunderstanding of, of the Mormon mission and all of that kind of stuff. And, all right. you know, maybe it's a, a more of a wait. All right. Let's see if we can sort out the wide receivers. All right. First, let's do the departures. Jordan Addison obviously is taken in the first round. Kyle Ford has transferred to UCLA. Ugh. Yeah, I know, man. Terrell Bynum, I think, just ran out of eligibility. CJ Williams transferred to, I want to say, Wisconsin. Yep. Gary Bryant's at Oregon now. And uh, John Jackson transferred out. He only, I think, got one catch. He was one of those, like, I don't understand how this guy's in USC's wide receiver room. We had talked for a couple of years how I thought, like, USC's wide receiver room for an air raid offense was, like, weirdly managed. And they had, like, a couple of guys in it was like, why is this guy in the room? And he was one of them. Yeah. Legacy. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but I think that's it for the departures, those six guys. Uh, yes, I believe that's correct. Addison, Ford, Bynum, C.J. Williams, Gary Bryant, John Jackson. Yeah, that's six. The returners, just let me recite them before I give any comments. Uh, uh, Taj Washington, uh, Mario Williams, uh, Brendan Rice, Michael Jackson, and Kyron Hudson. Yes. Incomers, three freshman signees, Zachariah Branch, Makai Lemon, Jacoby Lane, and the transfer from Arizona, you mentioned Dorian Singer. Yes. I think that's the room. That's everybody. That is everybody. So nine guys on scholarship, which is kind of, you know, yet again for, you know, for a a team with sort of an air raid uh, passing tree, it's not quite an air raid offense, but it's air raid inspired concepts. I mean, Lincoln Riley's comes off of that tree anyway, kind of a weirdly small room. You know what I mean? Which may be why, and it's not to justify it necessarily because like they could change this if they wanted to, but like, that's maybe why the tight end position continues to sort of percolate there because well it's why i believed you too when you said about a uh, brown practicing really brown with, working in the slot yeah yeah on the other hand it's very experienced you know th- there's three freshmen but all three of those freshmen are like i mean holy shit for branch and lemon and even you know lane is a blue chip too yes that's the thing is i mean the numbers technically feel like you could have more numbers but in terms of the quality of like the nine that are there from yeah. top to bottom, I, as a as a USC yeah. fan, you just there's nothing to feel bad about there, right? And, exactly. and it's, it's actually a problem almost because 
you can't possibly utilize all those guys to their fullest potential. Yeah. Like for a lot of, you know, like I, I usually, you know, try to try to follow sort of rules of thumb in terms of like, well, if you need this many dudes on the field, then you, you know, multiply that by a certain coefficient in order, you know, that's how big your room needs to be for depth and developmental purposes. And I do actually sort of think for developmental reasons that this is a little small. Like I, I sort of, I think they probably should have been developing more receivers. On the other hand, maybe in this modern era of college football where you just you just get freshman five stars and a portal guy and then that's your team and in two years you just refresh you hit the refresh button on your computer yeah well i mean see see cj williams as a as a a strong sign of that i I don't think that cj williams leaves because usc pushes him out i think cj williams is just the cost of, of 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 development um, and, uh, and uh, Gary Bryan Jr. is a sort of weird, interesting example of that as well is yeah. he was a guy who was going to leave and then decided to come back. And when he came but back, then, like, he, he played he was, like two games and then was like, that's yeah. it. I'm done. I'm tr- yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, you can only develop for so long and there are a few names on in, in this group. Um, I'm looking at that, you know, Michael Jackson, the third and, and Kyron mm-hmm. Hudson, who, you know, when, when you see them in cameos, Michael Jackson, especially like kid can play absolutely can play a guy that I like to see as often as, as we see him same Kyle Ford was the same way dude can play, but it's hard to break into the, that, that rotation of four when, uh, or four or five in, in, in this case, when the guys who are sort of at that, the, the, the top line aren't necessarily going to give you too many reasons to not be playing them either. I don't know why I don't have this written down. How big is Jacoby Lane? Oh, is, is he a big, uh, is he like a six four guy? Is or is he a? No, I want to say sort of like six six one ish. Hold on, let me look little, that up. Do you think this room's a little short? Like, I think that I think that Brandon Rice is the only guy who's over six one. Well, they lost the the tall guys. Yeah, um, they did. Uh, in uh, in Ford, well, I guess uh, uh, Brendan. Yeah, Brendan Rice is like six three. Yeah, but that's it, right? You know, Mario that's, Williams is 5'9", Todd Washington's 5'10". No, you're right. Jacoby Lane is 6'4". Okay. 6'4", yeah, six, that's, that's six but one, 175, so he needs, uh, he I needs would, you know, time in the I, weight room. So the, the reason that I asked about that is that, like, I like Mario Williams, you know, quite a bit, you know, out of the slot. I sort of think that Kyron, I, I actually remember I was pestering you a little bit about Kyron Hudson last year because I sort of think that he has a future uh, yes. as a possession receiver because like he's longer. I know he's only listed as six one. I think he plays longer than that. But I was sort of thinking like this room kind of has a log jam at the inside receiver position. Um, and I don't really love their tallest guy, Brendan Rice. I wonder if you share that opinion. Oh, Brendan Rice. Um it depends on what day I'm watching him play football. <laughs> so there, I think for most of the 2022 season, Brendan Rice felt like a, why is Brendan Rice playing and Kyle Ford isn't? Um, mm-hmm. I think in, 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 a, in, a, in a comparison, sort of A-B comparison between the two, I think most USC fans would have said, Kyle Ford should be playing the snaps that, that Brendan Rice is playing um, in, instead of you know the, the reverse. I, I just wrote and an article then, about UCLA in which I made precisely that argument. And then you see what he does against like Tulane and you're like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, he has his moments. He has, he has those like, Oh dang, like 
there's there's the rice name coming in. Like now we see where he gets it, but they're too and far too and uh, uh, too far between, and um, too inconsistent. Um, had quite a few drops, and I think that's the worry. I think I think the best case scenario for USC is that he takes a step in 2023 towards more consistency. But I think the more realistic idea is that, he, you know, he's a senior. He is who he is. He's going to pop up for a few incredible plays every once in a while and uh, disappear in, in, in the in-between. And if there's a weak link in USC's wide receiver sort of lineup, um, it's, it's probably him and, and the level of consist- consistency that he brings. And I think there's a, there's a, there might be, I mean, if, if I was going to make a, a, a sort of worst case scenario prediction, it would be that USC will look back and realize that they kept the wrong one, that they really should have made taken pains to, to keep Kyle Ford instead. But that's, from my perspective, the, the more pessimistic uh, view of it. He's, he's one of those guys. It, it, it depends on the day. And I guess that's the problem, right? Is that if it has to be depending on the day, then that's sort of part yeah. of the answer about, about, what he's contributing you, you well you read my mind that that's was, that was exactly what i was about to say i, I guess yeah. it, you know I, I try to sort out the first thing i do when i try to sort out receiver rooms is i look at their height um and like i, I i'm sort of like i and then i wonder well well maybe in lincoln riley's offense and with receivers of this talent where like it doesn't their height is irrelevant because they're not going to be covered. They're not going to be covered because they're so fucking fast that yeah. like n- nobody's going to be able to keep up with them. So they could be five foot four and it wouldn't matter. They'll be wide open. And Dorian Singer is a good, is a good example, at least from my experience of Washington, watching, watching him at Arizona, not the tallest guy, but he has He's like six foot, but he burns down the sideline. Yeah. Yes. And any, any, he, he makes catches, uh, that makes him feel like he's taller than he is. He, he's got a very good sense. One of the things that um, in soccer that uh, we always talk about is that you think that on headers that you, you always think it's going to be the tallest guy on the field. And it's not necessarily about how tall you are. It's about how well you judge the flight of the ball and time your jump and all of those sort of calculations that your brain has to make that instinct that, that comes over you to be in the right spot at the right time to create the accurate header and that's what I, what I have seen from Dorian Singer in that sense. Like, you know, he plays, you know, a six foot three guy would have the height advantage, but that doesn't mean that they can make the plays that Dorian Singer makes because he has that sense of where the ball is in the air. Um, but looking at the roster right now, I, I just really get what you're saying though, because I'm looking down the line at the heights, and it's uh, yeah, not something that I had. It's just sort of a clocked. log jam, you know. Like, well, yeah. I think I can solve it. You know, I think I can solve it for the four starters, right? Like, I think the four starters are going to be Rice and Singer on the outside, and uh, uh, Washington and Mario Williams on the inside. And I think that's a pretty good set of starters. Like, I think I might, if I think I, frankly, I would have liked to have Ford instead of rice, you know, at the outside, but whatever. Um, you know, I, I think those starters are fine. It's just that like, when I then go to fill out, you know, okay, so then who's my second line? Like if I had to do, you know, who's, who, who's, you know, 
one, two, three, four, or like who's five, six, seven, eight, you know, at those positions, I sort of like, well, I've got a whole bunch of slot receivers, like who's, mm-hmm. you know, who's, you know, well, no, uh, that's not quite true. Uh, I, uh, I guess, you know, Jackson and Hudson are, are two other tall guys and then Jacoby Lane, who's coming in, but it's like, you know, branch and lemon are, uh, uh, are, are pretty appealing options, but those guys are both under six foot, you know, it's sort of like, well, I guess they'll, those guys will replace, you know, Washington Williams when they move on, which should probably be pretty soon. So like, I guess I understand that. And actually it'll be funny if it is, if it is, <laughs> if it is singer Washington Williams and rice, um, it will be a transfer quarterback throwing to four transfer wide receivers <laughs> with Austin Jones, a transfer running back standing next to him. And I think uh, three transfer offensive linemen <laughs> or at, four, at maybe least, protecting at, at least three yeah. transfer. I actually yeah. think there's a scenario for all 11 offensive starters to be transfers <laughs> that, that be in a school um, that transferred to the a different conference. That transferred yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? It's sort of like that, that, that there's sort of a, like there's, there's, this isn't quite balanced, uh, in terms of like who your outside receivers and who your inside receivers are. And I think that might, that honestly, it it may be by design because one of the things that has been difficult, I, I don't do my, you know, in the past I, I would do like a USC death chart prediction kind of thing. Mm And one of the things that I always struggled with is that I would sort of be applying sort of my practical knowledge of like what type of player plays this position uh so you know on the the outside and the inside guys and sort of be doing my calculations based on some of those sort of height and style kind of things and then turn out to be completely wrong because for whatever reason usc decides that no like yeah sure mario williams is 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 not your sort of typical outside guy, but we're going to play him outside anyways, or, um, you know, yeah. have, uh, have Drake London playing, you know, inside is basically a faux tight end uh, for the, the first half of his career, or, you know, all these things where they sort of just throw out any preconceived perceptions of, of, of what we think of as outside and inside guys and just, and also cross train everybody and, and, and do that whole thing. So that can also make it a little bit more tricky in that like the coaches might just see it as we don't necessarily need that prototypical. Like obviously we'd like to have a, a six foot three, six foot four kind of guy um, in our arsenal, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that the guy who's six foot can't also, or even five eleven whatever it is also do a job there um, at, at that, at that position. So that's also something that that I've sort of had to get yeah to wrap my head around is that the the coaches aren't always following our sort of neat um expectations because whatever they see they see whatever it is that they see and and are doing in specific moments all right fill in the blank congratulations to USC Blitnikoff winner Mario Williams really I agree that Uh, he's the I agree that he's the best talent on the team right now. I just don't think they go to slot guys. Uh, and it's totally fair. Uh, totally fair. Um, I just think that if I, if, if you told me who I could depend on USC consistently targeting uh, every game, I, I, I think it would be Mario Williams. I think Mario Williams will be either the, the lead receiver or, you know, one, one, one or two, more often one and occasionally two going into this year, uh, just just based yeah. on what we know about the relationship between him and Caleb Williams, his stature within with the, the offense and, and the coaches and all that kind of stuff. With Dorian, I, I, I think that if you, for this year, this particular year, 
if if it's not Mario Williams as Dorian Singer, the only thing that stops me there is just like you never know. I I I I don't know how to translate necessarily Dorian Singer's performance in an, an Arizona offense to I what do he'll do at, at USC. And and we've seen we've seen other sort of receivers from from those sort of programs that have come to USC and and maybe faded a little bit. And, yeah, and where you're the it, stud at your school because you're the stud at your school and then you come to USC and yeah. Yeah. Now, t- I mean, to be fair, the 2022 Arizona receiving core, like it's not like he was the, the only yeah, guy in there, but he was the only guy who was their sideline guy. Like the way that they, yeah. the way that they construct because the, their other three guys were catching like in breaking routes. Um, and I, I, and, but, but that's kind of the interesting thing is I, I do wonder whether or not he might be the only like sideline guy for, for the way that Riley has his offense constructed, um, or at least the reliable one. Cause like, as you said about Brendan Rice, Rice, like, yeah, would be that guy. I mean, that's the funny thing is just like, it was obvious when I asked that question about Bolitnikov winner, it was obvious that it was Drake London, you know, because it was like, if you had to throw a ball, like if you got to <laughs> yeah. have a touchdown, who are you throwing it to when you had Drake London on the team, you were throwing it to Drake London. If I asked you that question about like, you absolutely have to have this third down conversion or you're going to lose the game and go home. Like I, like I, I don't have like the warm fuzzies about any of these receivers in the way that Drake London gave me the warm fuzzies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I get what you mean. I, I think that uh, like my answer to that question right now would would just be Taj Washington because hmm. he's he's the sort of guy lurking in the in the wings that just takes advantage of people forgetting that he exists, <laughs> <laughs> and he does it very well. Sucks sucks to be him and and have people forget that he exists, but also he he takes advantage of that on the football field but i but i 100% agree with you i mean even last year it was like well where's the ball going against oregon state when you need the touchdown it's 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 going to to jordan addison like there was no question about that even with mario williams there in the fold jordan addison was the undisputed guy that you knew you could rely on um in whatever moment that you needed and and i don't know that this group has that has one coming into the season um i think that they're whether you're looking at Mario Williams or Dorian Singer, or even, you know, best case scenario, Brendan Rice uh, turns into that guy. Who knows if he, if he, if he brings his a game every week, yeah, he could win the Blitnikoff. I just, you know, don't stake your house on that, but you never know. I think that the, the these guys can sort of develop that feeling or that uh, confidence, but it's not immediately, immediately clear. And I, and I guess from a USC perspective, you want it to be immediately clear with Mario Williams and I wonder how immediately clear it might be if he hadn't gotten injured last year and sort yeah. of had part of his season be um, uh, sort of cut cut away. And then he ends the season in a sort of a, a weird way that sort of takes confidence away from him because of his basically game losing special teams gaffe against, uh, against Tulane. Mm. So like m- under different circumstances, Mario Williams probably comes into the season with much higher esteem in general. Uh, but the way that his sophomore year went down, it was maybe a little bit harder to, to, to put that like stamp of definitely you are the next great USC wide receiver uh, on him because there's still some work to do there. Yeah. And there was that sour note at the end. You're right. Yeah. Offensive line. Okay. Alicia. Uh, transfers. <laughs> uh, first, I, I want to read you a quote. 
And then uh, maybe you can guess uh, uh, who and where and uh, when this quote was said. Here we go. You can make through six, seven, eight games with a patchwork offensive line and your talent will carry you through. Uh, But the one game where your defense gives up 45 points, if your offensive line is getting worked and the Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison partnership is only able to put up 30 points, which would still be quite good with a disaster offensive line, you're going to lose those games. So a whole lot of it comes down to USC doesn't have much wiggle room on defense to allow the offense to always be the one that carries them because when you play Utah you're going to be very limited in what you can do just because you have to go into every game thinking you're going to be somewhat um, outmatched on the offensive line and so then that puts all the pressure on the all the other positions to not have to be the night in which they drop the ball as it were any guesses I'm, I'm going to guess that's a Hitler special uh, it was on this podcast um, <laughs> it wasn't me though was it me it was you, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you introed the quote, I was like, he's going to do something that I said, and then I didn't recognize the words at all. <laughs> but I was also thinking about things that I've written, and so I was like, I was trying to think of what I've written about USC in, in the past year, but yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you said that on this podcast uh, one year ago, uh, uh, one year and a couple of weeks. Yeah. You you predicted the Pac-12 championship game down to almost exactly what the score was uh, <laughs> and the opponent and uh, what would happen. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ, Elise, you, should, you ought to do this for a living. Hey, you know, <laughs> one or two people might have said, might have told me that in my life. <laughs> and now we get to add you to the mix. Yeah, sometimes I say, sometimes I get things right. It's good to be reminded of that, too, because I often really remember the things that I absolutely got wrong and just sort of like um, stew in those of like, why did you, why did you think that that was going to happen? You also predicted a but, global yeah. pandemic in 2017, it says here? No. no. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> But I mean, that uh, was like the, the, the yeah. reason that I brought that up is that like, you know, fans often, you know, they, they look at like, well, they won a bunch of games and the and therefore how bad could the offensive line have been? And it's like they were going to win a bunch of games. They had a Heisman winner and the most talented or, or, you know, one, a one B most talented team, you know, in the conference, the question is what happens when they play the big games, you know, against a team that can, you know, actually line up, you know, is their offensive line going to be good enough? And I, and the answer was no, it wasn't. Well, and that was the, that was the complaint about the previous era that I found to be the most valid is that like USC by the nature of their talent um, at the skill positions should be able to win most of the games on their schedule. If they just had an offensive line that wasn't a a bit of a train wreck every week. And the, the, the 2022 season sort of proves that, I mean, the, the ski, we talked all about the scheme and everything like that, putting the guys in position to succeed guys on that offensive line that were liabilities in previous seasons became really just sort of stout presences for USC across the season. And you saw the wins pile up um, in addition to the Caleb Williams magic and all yeah, that kind exactly. of stuff. But, but you saw, but you saw the wins pile up, but there was also a really valid reason for why I personally was slightly relieved to have USC not get that playoff spot because 
USC. I mean, Georgia so. or Ohio State would have murdered them. The like, only. The I mean, only like literally, thing... Caleb Williams might be dead and buried <laughs> yeah. in the ground. Like, yeah. And that's and that it, it would have the the outcome of those games would have been set. USC was going to lose those games, but the basically how much of Superman can Caleb Williams be? That would have been maybe fun to find out. But in the end, USC as currently constructed, or at least certainly in 2022, in the in the trenches in the positions that 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 really differentiate between the teams that compete for the national title and the teams that don't. And in the case of like the PAC 12, Utah is sort of the stand in for the team that in the trenches is closest to being sort of at that level, but they have their own reasons why they're not in that upper echelon. But if you can't beat, if if you can't beat Utah in the trenches, then you're certainly not going to hold up against Georgia or Michigan or Ohio state or those. And, you know, we saw TCU is a really good example of how, yeah, you can sort of surprise some people, some people, and you can sort of put on a show and get through the one game against an opponent that turns out to be just flawed enough for you to get one over on them. But when you face up with Georgia and I'll throw Alabama in, in, in there uh, most years, the chickens come home to roost and you realize just how sort of lacking you are in that department. And I think that that's why my expectations around USC remain somewhat low. If we, if we understand that low USC expectations season expectations. Yeah. Like in, in in terms of like USC expectations were always just win the PAC 12. Can USC win the PAC 12 as currently, uh, currently constructed? Yeah, they can. Um, We, we pretty much know they can because they got so close to it last year with a defense that uh, yeah. that I don't like to talk about necessarily. But well, uh, they also—I mean—they also missed Washington last year, which I, I think yes. had one of the better pass rushes, in, you know, in the league. Yeah, and that's the thing is the the schedule will always play out that way. But like, you can lose to Washington and still get the Pac-12 title game and sure. and, and win it if Caleb Williams doesn't doesn't hurt him. Doesn't you know tear his hamstring after right. pulling off I mean, an absolutely incredible play. Like, yeah, I mean, you have to have. I mean, that's the thing is, I actually didn't really think that Utah was was. It, yeah, Caleb Williams has to pull his hamstring. You know, like I, I will make that statement outright, and Utah fans might have a problem with it. That's that's fine. No, USC. I mean, wins I'll that make game. it with you. Yeah, no. Yeah, 100%. USC wins that game if Caleb it's Williams. The... We saw that in the beginning of that game is controlled by USC. In fact, USC's defense looks probably as good as that we we saw them all year in the opening sort of salvo of that game before the injury. And even directly after the injury, they hold on pretty admirably, admirably for a little while there. Um, they no, just weren't, they weren't, they weren't ever going to be able to keep pace and the injury absolutely re- results in the outcome. Yeah. You, you had to have, I mean, the, the thing is about Utah is that they weren't able to get any, like they had to blitz in order to get any sort of pass rush, unlike Washington and UCLA, who actually had some decent guys off the edge and could get there with four. Um, but then, but then, you know, Williams was able to, you know, to, to just escape. Um, yeah. You know, the thing that Utah was able to do was that like, uh, you know, they had actually a pretty couple good, you know, box safeties who could then like limit the amount of scrambling damage, you know, that, that Williams could do. And then like Utah didn't have more than 
one really good. They had one really good cornerback. They didn't have two. So like what you would need to do is combine like Oregon State's couple of cornerbacks with like Utah's box safeties and Washington's pass rush to like form, you know, this Voltron defense that could stop the complete, you know, Kayla Williams show. And there really wasn't a defense in the Pac-12 that had that in 2022. There may be in 2023. Uh, and there definitely would have been in the postseason. But like yes. these are all hypotheticals. Yes, but get back to the, the, the gist of this is, I guess, the question of USC's offensive line last year got the job done more often than not. But in order more to be a More often than not is not the question with USC. You know? No. The, Always uh, are is you, the question with USC. Do you have a championship offensive line? And, and, and you look at the offensive lines that USC won championships with at the beginning of this, of this century, those offensive lines were beefy and skilled and like full of like NFL guys that went on to have actual NFL careers of varying success. But even, but even a, a marginal NFL career where you're in the league for, you know, five, seven years is, is proof positive that you like, you, you're a pretty damn good player. Right. Yeah. So I guess, I guess the, the, the question continues to be for USC is, does USC have that on their offensive line right yeah, now? I know. Did they or, have or, it on their offensive line last last year? I I don't know. I don't. I I I, I think that uh, the my instincts say that they're not there yet. Yeah. Or like the way you put it was like Caleb Williams is a cheat code and, and it's like, and that's awesome, you know. But it's like I, I've always, you know, my opinion has always been that like if that's what you need to win games that means you're not going to win at all because someone's going to going to fix the code you know like yeah it's at some point that code's going to go away you know like you need to be able to do it honestly now to be fair what i think is encouraging from a from a usc perspective is that it's not like lincoln riley hasn't had offenses that were still able to stand up to some of the better defenses out there. You just think back to the the Oklahoma Georgia Rose Bowl. Like, yeah, Oklahoma didn't lose that game because their offense couldn't move the ball and put points on the board. They absolutely did that. This scheme with the the with with the right vision and off, offensive line, the right recruiting, the right development, all of those kinds of things that necessarily take some time. Um, that it feels like it feels like USC can get back to that point. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Oh yes. Yeah. I, 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 I'm sorry. I can't the, contain myself. I a hundred percent agree with you. Like this is not a Lincoln Riley problem. In fact, the no, big no. thing that I took away from watching Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma in 2021 was the, like, Oh man, I could t- tell an even longer story, but I'll abbreviate it. His offensive line was really good. And in yes. fact, that that's what really struck me is, is being the, the sort of like, screw you dad, you know, to Mike Leach, you know, cause everybody comes off of Mike Leach's tree, tries to do something different from Mike Leach. It's sort of like, screw you football dad. I'm my own man. And like, that was his is because Mike Leach, never had good offensive linemen that was the whole provenance you know go back to valdosta state and all of that is that like we know we don't have good offensive linemen how do we you know make an offense that works and that was his or he, and among other guys who were coming up with it the solution to it and lincoln riley's like well what if i go to a place that does have good offensive line and that's and thus this scheme with like power blocking mm-hmm. and rpos and all the cool stuff and like yeah no his deal has never been that like how do i make an offense work with bad offensive linemen no no no, no. he he wants good offensive 
offensive lineman. And if you look at the recruiting, he's been doing that. Like look at the recruiting classes. They're good recruiting classes, like the 2023 class. And then these guys, they just got like today and the other day, like the, you know, the 2024s, like, yeah, you know, this is not, you know, Clay Helton was the problem. Like, and the thing is with offensive line is that it takes years, right? Like, you know, like to the extent that I'm criticizing, you know, the offensive line of 2022, I'm not criticizing Lincoln Riley at all. I'm criticizing the hangover from Clay Helton, you know? Well, and and those were the, all of those guys were, were inherited, but I also think, I also think that this is the big, the big transfer portal question that uh, I think you've, yes. you've already said that you're, you're not certain about it. And, and I, I completely understand that lack of certainty because if the transfer thing works, then you jumpstart your offensive line sort of development at, at USC quite a bit. If you can then patch your holes in yeah. 2023 while also recruiting a couple classes that are really solid and then start to sort of weave your sort of patchwork of patch a hole with a transfer, bring in a a prospect and then train them up through the, you know, two, three years that you need um, to then create a super offensive line. Like to me, that sounds really exciting, but it has to work, right? Like it has to, the, the, the guys that you bring in have to be capable of patching that hole and Right now, I think my my most interesting question for, for USC on both sides of the ball, to be honest, is they've brought in a lot of transfers to try and jumpstart their um, – to, to jumpstart the situation in, in the trenches. If they hit on those transfers, we're going to see USC win a national title. If they – didn't well then, assuming the defense is relevant to winning national titles uh, uh no because that's what i also mentioned defense oh you mean that you, you think if the defensive transfers also if, pop if the defensive yeah, okay. transfers pop then then you know what you, you're gonna well i don't know because that's then a question of like is alex grinch capable of of yeah producing a defense that's, that takes that, advantage of those players question. all that kind yeah, of, yeah. That's i understand thing. what you mean i, I am but, i yeah. am less uh, as a um to, to, to well let me lay my cards on the table i definitely think the defensive transfers can work right away i uh, that i am not confused about that as a question and so theoretically oh yeah i i definitely do think that you need defense to win championships i guess uh, maybe that's old-fashioned of me um but defense wins <laughs> championships um I'm but it's also, also but it's, all of the evidence points to that like all evidence says that you have to at least have a, yeah. a, 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 maybe you don't have to have like the most elite defense in the country, but sure. you need to have a defense. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't just get, be getting pantsed on defense. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves a bit here. And I think that USC's problems on defense last year were, I mean, it wasn't just the personnel, but it was the personnel and it wasn't just Grinch, but it was Grinch. And like, yep. They're and the not fixing Grinch, you know, yeah. like, and, and, and the question about the defensive transfers is still a question. So it's like, I only, you know, I don't rate it as better than 50% odds that the defense makes a huge jump. That's why I say like, you know, like maybe it happens, but it's a maybe for me. Whereas the offensive line comes down to more of a theoretical question, you know, like, yeah, the, you know, these offensive line transfers are, are certainly intriguing, although I'm not really in love with Kingston perfectly oh let me say that the the um (laughs) the well i do want to talk about it i'm just saying i'll save it like as a theoretical matter while i'm still laying my cards on the table here's you know here's the thing The, the portal opened in 18 i've been collecting a lot of data 
the I've been collecting all of this data, you know, and it's not difficult to study. Um, you know, I, I, I do, you know, the, the roster database on the entire Pac-12, then all the other, you know, big out-of-conference teams that Oregon, you know, plays, which usually means I get two every year. So, you know, I usually have 14 teams worth of data, you know, every year. But then I also opened it up to check out this question because I'm fascinated by it, you know, for all the teams that took offensive line transfers, you know, so I have a, you know, very comprehensive set of data on this question. And it has been very clear for 2018 through 2022, those five seasons about the more offensive line transfers you take the who be who you then immediately plug into starters if you wait a year and then later use them for their second year then they're fine they basically get integrated into your program but if you take the transfer and then immediately play him as starter the more dudes like that that you play the worse your offensive line performs it is like iron fucking clad however in 2023 it has been an absolute fucking explosion for the number of teams that are going to be relying on offensive line transfer starters um to this extent that at the end of 2023 i will have more data on this question in 2023 alone that i had in the previous five years and so i may be forced to like change my tune on this like i just like so much more data is going to come flooding in on this question and usc is going to be really 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 interesting because they got their transfers early right Tarquin from Florida and Kingston from Wazoo came in in like, like, like December, man, right? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I think, if not December, then extremely early January. So like, I think there's a possibility that like, if we see some differentiation, because like, that that we may see it's a differentiation between teams that are like okay if i have to take a transfer offensive lineman and like a bunch of them not just like one guy to patch a hole but like oh man like my whole line is getting made up of transfers basically like if what happens if you get them early versus like man there are still some teams that are like I like ASU, for example, or Cal are probably going to be starting an offensive line transfer that they haven't even gotten yet. Like they don't know what his name is, who's going to be coming in in the fall, right? Like maybe there's a difference, you know, between that. So like USC is going to provide some interesting data, like, because I I really think the Tarquin and and Kingston are going to be starters, don't you? Absolutely. And and I think that that's my, I, I think my, the way I'm, I'm sort of perceiving this, this conversation, you're, you're absolutely right to have some misgivings about whether or not this amount of, of offensive linemen can gel, learn, fit in that quickly to have a, 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 a truly successful uh, 2023, or even let's say mirror what USC accomplished on the offensive line in 2022, which we agree was, was, you know, got the job in most most cases when they had to go up against the sort of the, the, the better defensive fronts that they faced, there were some issues. Um, Caleb Williams is capable of, of decreasing some of those issues a lot of the time. And so you're going to end up with a USC offense that's, feels more or less in the same in the same vein without taking too much of a step back right like so if the goal for USC is to just stay pat on that front mm-hmm. which might not win them a national title but can certainly result in you know a, a, a solid win loss uh, projection and and maybe a, a Pac-12 a Pac-12 championship whatever it is um if you add these these offensive linemen there's a real chance that USC is going to take a step back on the offensive line 
the issue for USC is that adding these offensive linemen was absolutely necessary. And oh yeah, could not. The, yeah, the, they didn't the, have a choice. The, USC backs themselves into a corner mm-hmm. um, that makes it that that makes it the sort of like I think this is an interesting conversation in that it'll be interesting to see how these things play out. But also USC didn't have a choice in this. They they literally yeah. could not well, proceed into this season. Yeah with the offensive linemen that they had available to them to then step up into those starting roles and expect to not take a significant step back um, uh, on the offensive line. So because well, the departures were just, there's so many of them there. Yeah. I mean, three starters, I want to say, uh, you know, well, sort four, of uh, arguably four starters. Yeah, that's right. Because, um, because Dietrich slides, slides over mm-hmm. to, to center. So well, I'm looking at the, uh, well, uh, let me see if I can do it. Maybe all right. Um, okay, so, go for it. So, um, the, I be- the starter who, I, left tackle who began the year was Cortland Ford, um, but then I, I think he became unavailable within a couple of, of games, and so Bobby yeah. Haskins, the guy who transferred transfer. in from Virginia, sort of took over and was playing left tackle for most of the rest of the year. Although he missed a, uh, another couple of games uh, later um, uh, at left tackle, he has also left. Um, uh, Ford and Haskins have both left. Uh, Voorhees, the left guard, was drafted by the Ravens. Nealon, the longtime center, uh, has uh, has left as well. Dietrich, yeah, was playing guard at uh, spots, but then he would have to slide over at points. He's probably going to be the new center now, which I, I have thought he yes. should have been the center for a long time. I think he's much better than Nealon. It's my personal opinion. But anyway, the, those four have left. I would argue all four of those you could call starters. Ford, Haskins, Voorhees, and Nealon. Starter level, I think, is, yeah. is a fair, yeah. And then let me, do, I guess I'll just finish up the departures. These guys didn't play, uh, but Maximus Gibbs has transferred out. Jason Rodriguez has retired. I think he actually it, ended up transferring. Oh, did he? But yeah. He's departure, but yeah. Yeah. Caden Steven is not listed on the roster, but I didn't find any reporting on that happening. He's just disappeared. I want to say he re- just retired. Okay. Yeah. And then a couple of walk-ons just aren't on the roster anymore. Uh, Joe Bryson and AJ Maggio. I just figured I'd jo- say them for please. Joe Joe Bryson, who was to to sort of represent this whole conversation, was on USC's too deep. Yeah. By Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, yeah, D- Division Two walk on, yeah, on the two yeah. deep, yeah, exactly. So yeah, and then uh, back back to the returners anyway. Uh, Justin Dietrich, uh, who was like starting at a guard position at one point, had to slide over and play left guard. He's going to be the new center, no doubt, right? Yes. Okay. Jonah Monheim was the right tackle. Uh, number 79 although in one game he like played right guard for a little bit it was weird alicia would you be surprised to learn that jonah monheim uh had the most holding penalties of any offensive lineman at any position in the pac-12 last year <laughs> i would be surprised to learn that i didn't know that <laughs> Yeah, fun fact. Let's see. Uh, the two other guys that I saw playing, but just for a little bit, um, were Gino Quinones, who played a little bit of guard, and Mason Murphy, um, who played a little bit of both right tackle and light left tackle. There was like weird injury rotations at a bunch of different games. Um, they actually, um, very few games did they play exactly the same five guys as they played the last game. It was kind of funny. Yeah, it turned out, we sort of found out a little bit after the season that Andrew Voorhees had been sort of playing through an injury and he Mm. sort of kept having to come in and out because of that. And Bobby Haskins was dealing with a sort of injury. And so there was a lot of shuffling 
in the middle of games too, just because like, well, Voorhees is, has to be out for a quarter or whatever, because he's dealing with whatever it is that, that was ailing him. So then Mason Murphy gets thrown in there. And, you know, one of the advantages of this offensive line, but also one of the weird things is that a lot of, a lot of the guys on the offensive line were sort of just um, uh, had some positional fluidity. Uh, and so they used that a lot yeah. and that ended up with some weird lineups for sure. So like I said, uh, you know, Didich has definitely got a center job. And like I said, I think he should have been in the center for a long time. <laughs> Tarquin comes in from Florida. I suspect he will be the left tackle. That's the presumption. Yes. Kingston. This one is interesting. He was, um, wa- he, he was an offensive tackle at, uh, at Wazoo for a long time. He grades out really badly as an offensive tackle. I mean, really badly as an offensive tackle. I was shocked that USC picked him up, but then, um, at, uh, uh, and in an air raid offense too, which is like, you definitely can't be a bad offensive tackle in an air raid, man. Um, but then <laughs> in the spring game, um, I saw him playing right guard and I was like, Oh, maybe this will work out. Um, do you think that's, he is going to, A, uh, do you think that's position switch is going to be for real? And B, do you think he's a starter? All indications are that that, that position switch is for real. Um, and I don't know if that's a reflection of them recognizing that he wasn't going to work out at tackle, or if that's a reflection of the faith that they have in, in Monheim at, uh, at right tackle. But, okay. uh, I, I would be, I, I would be curious to get to to ask a coach honestly what they're mm-hmm. what they're thinking there. Administer, but, okay. administer some truth serum. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, boy. If if I had some truth serum to administer to coaches, there's a. <laughs> I don't know if that would be a high priority question for me, but boy, there are a lot <laughs> would be of them. A, it would be there. Um. So uh, then the the really interesting wrinkle, and so you don't think that Monheim's job at right tackle is in danger at all? You think that's his? I think that's his. Yeah, I, I would I would expect that to be his his role. He's been a he's been an alignment that they just that the coaches really like and have liked him from day one and seem to put a lot of faith in him. So holding penalties. Side. <laughs> uh, it's only 10 yards. It's a passing offense, right? <laughs> um, in the spring game. Uh, I saw Gino Quinones, um, who, like I said, got uh, some backup time or not backup time. He was a starter in games, mm-hmm. just not that many games in 2022. I saw him playing left guard. On the other hand, I also saw that USC got a late transfer in from a pretty coveted Wyoming player, Emmanuel Pregnon, who I think it could play tackle or could play guard. Uh, how do you think that plays out? feels like he's a he's a guard it feels like he'll come in and and take that spot just thinking of of usc being in the market for another offensive lineman at that point um given gino canones no no disrespect to him but he's also not exactly um he's not jonah monheim in the sense that like you know for sure or even mason murphy who They've also shown quite a bit of faith in, and 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 I think I wouldn't be surprised to see him, um, you know, get some time in, in the rotation there, uh, just because of the perception. Um, I don't think the intention was ever to go into the season knowing that Gino Canones would be a starter. So the fact that they've added Pregnon means he's that's the open spot. That's the open spot on the line. Um, Fall camp. It would be it would be interesting if if they do some shuffling with with Monheim or or Pregnon or, or Kingston and and maybe do some experimenting. But I would wager that he's the left guard. 
But I mean, I mean, when you say painted themselves into a corner, you're a hundred percent right. Cause I mean, the, there's only two guys who are returners on scholarship that I haven't mentioned yet. And that's Andrew Millick and Andres to work. And both of those guys are low three stars um, yeah. and low three stars from the 2020 class who haven't played yet, which like if those guys were secretly diamonds in the rough, despite their low rating, you know, we would have seen it by now and we haven't. And two guys, I mean, that's crazy, right? So like, you know, of returners on scholarship, it was, you know, starting caliber guys who were Dietrich and Monheim, backup, you know, caliber guys who were Canonas and Murphy and and two guys who haven't played, you know, Milliken Dwork, six guys, six returners on scholarship, you know, bonkers so like when and, and so therefore you know when you say they had to go get three transfers you know for the offensive line uh you ain't lying you know nope. you ain't lying <laughs> even a little tiny bit like in fact three is probably too few um if anything like i, I do think they're doing a, a good job of of rebuilding this unit like uh hell it probably should have gotten more if i'm if i'm being honest um but like this is a good start definitely and, and like i like the caliber of dudes that they're recruiting you know certainly although that's not going to pay off until the future um but like you know they they had to um they had to you're a hundred percent, you're a thousand percent right. You know, that they had to go get, you know, transfers. It's just that I also think that you're right about Pregnon versus it, it, like setting aside my qualms about uh, transfers, uh, transfer offensive linemen. Like, I think you're right about Pregnon versus Quinones. Uh, frankly, I think you'd, you'd be right about uh, Pregnon versus Monheim. I think that Pregnon's better than, you know, anybody who that they're returning except for Dietrich. And I don't think Pregnon plays center. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the other question. I was going to bring up because as, as you point out, you know, you look at, at the guys that USC has on this roster, um, the, the, the depth is concerning, especially at center because USC sort of got used to living in a world where Brett Nealon's the center, but Justin Dietrich is the center one a or one B whatever. And no, no, if, something happened, <laughs> if, if something, if something happened to Nealon, well, all you just got to do is move Dietrich over. And I think yeah. you go into this year going, well, if something happens to Dietrich, I do not know what you do. Andrew Malek has been, um, has been sort of serving in that third center role for a few years now, but he certainly was not recruited as a center and, and has not Does he know had, how to snap the ball. I mean, one would, one would hope um, <laughs> we've seen some right, that snapping one's going issues. Article, with... <laughs> uh, so that's another area that, that you look at it and if you're talking best case scenarios and worst case scenarios, best case scenario, you're, you're feeling pretty good about the sort of starting five or, or six that you can, that you can have playing there, but another season. And, and I don't know how many seasons in a row now I've had to say this, but it's another season where you need to be crossing your fingers and hoping that your injury situations don't get too bad. Yeah. Because I don't know that there are a ton of replacements that aren't like, right. Shoe freshman that you're hoping can, well, can do a job for you. And that's not a good position to be in. Although to, to be fair, USC's offense at the end of last season was, you know, the offensive line was put together with twine and, and, and duct tape. And somehow they managed to, uh, to Caleb to Williams managed. Twine. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> they, they, I mean, Caleb Williams on, on, on uh, a little bit more than half a hamstring with a, an, an offensive line that was absolutely, I don't even know how they took the field against Tulane still, <laughs> put up 40 some odd points so yeah. you know 
but yeah no i mean like even setting aside yeah like you know setting aside my qualms about kingston and setting aside my larger theoretical qualms about like you know a transfer offensive lineman and setting aside my qualms about like hey you know pregnant's coming in late you know like i just went on that whole rant about like hey it's great to get offensive linemen early and then you take you know pregnant like what did he come in like a week ago you know or (laughs) right it's just like i don't know maybe that goes out the window you know that that whole long rant you know like having to take three offensive linemen just to get up to you know five playable guys like that that means your depth is like perilous like perilous yes uh, yes. you know, I wrap them in bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about the defense. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Our party's over. <laughs> do you, yeah. you just want to send in Michael in here and say, so you don't have to do this part. <laughs> <laughs> let's see Uh defensive line first losing, uh, 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 Tui Tui Pelotu, uh, got drafted in the second uh, round by the Chargers. I mean, that's it. That's that was all the good players that they had. Uh, you little yeah. joking. I, I mean, I didn't even laugh because that's not like a true statement. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> also losing Brandon Peely. It was a little touch and go whether or not he was on the team. I was curious at one point. Also losing Nick Figueroa. So basically losing like this, what I would characterize as the starting defensive line. And then uh, uh, Earl Barquet uh, also transferred out, although I don't think he played. Uh, yes. They bring back. Well, let me just list everybody who plays on the line of scrimmage who they are bringing back who got some play last year. They bring back uh, uh, Stanley Taufo, Tyrone Teleni, who had come in from Kansas State, Dijon Benton. And then guys who I would sort of and uh, Solomon Bird um, and uh, Corey Foreman, who were, uh, you know, that those rush end positions. And then a couple of guys who I, w- I think would characterize more as backups, Solomon Tulia and Jamar Sakona. And then I think that was pretty much it in terms of guys who played. Did I miss any? Like, I know there's other guys on the roster, but I think those are pretty much the only guys who played. Yeah, I, I there are there's one redshirt freshman that I think could could be an interesting conversation for 2023, but he didn't he didn't uh, play at least not not outside maybe a special teams appearance. I can't even remember seeing Devin Tompkins. We're gonna talk about yeah. Well, uh, since you brought him up, huh? we are gonna talk about they brought in a bunch of dudes. They brought in uh, I think five different guys I would characterize as either defensive linemen or rush ends through the portal, and then they recruited you know several freshmen you know enough to like sort of rebuild uh you know the the defensive line and and for good measure I understand why they did that. I, I thought that was appropriate. What I didn't, what I thought was what I was confused by is they sure seem to have kept a lot of guys on this roster who look like bench warmers to me. And when I was sort of earlier, like way at the beginning of the podcast was like two hours ago saying that, like I sort of question some of the roster management, you know, here of Lincoln Riley and how aggressive it's been. This is the unit that I was thinking of because there's guys like, I, I don't understand why, Jamar Sakona and Colin Mobley and Kobe Pepe and Devin Tompkins and Sinjin Astani and Romello Height and Corey Foreman are still on the roster. I think all those guys should hit the portal. Do you think I'm being a jerk? One correction. I think this this is a little bit weird. I think Colin Mobley went into the portal, came out of the portal to come back. Colin Mobley might still be in the portal. That okay. is one who may already be listening to your advice. Okay. But what about Kobe he, Pepe? I I, <laughs> I, saw, I thought the same thing may have been true of him too. Ooh, 
And see, and this is where it gets confusing because you're right. Was he did he, was he one of the ones who never landed somewhere and then ended up coming back for spring camp, but like with the expectation that this is just to get to get some sort of practice film or whatever to put on tape for other people. Yeah, man. I mean, he's currently listed on the roster. He's still on. Like, I'm. This is so hard to keep track of know, everything. Man. You're telling me. Kobe Pepe is still on the roster, even though he entered the portal. Colin Mobley as well was still on the roster, even though he entered the portal. But I don't see any updates as to whether they actually made it through camp. De- Devin Tompkins, I shouldn't be hard on. You were right. He's a redshirt freshman. So okay, like- Yes. So just to answer your question, though, I agree. I think that there's some weirdness about the numbers here that feel like either they were holding on to guys for um, some numbers in spring camp because some of the transfers weren't going to come in right away, or they're hoping to, to enhance the depth in, in hopes of creating more opportunities to rotate and get less uh, fatigued or something like that during the game, which is always an issue that USC has had over the last few years when it's felt like they've had zero defensive line depth and thus not being able to, to rotate guys in and out. Um, but I would agree with you that it, it's hard to justify guys like Kobe Pepe, Colin Mobley, you know, Jamar Sakona to a point sort of sticking around. Um, I even look at like Solomon Bird and wonder the log jam that he's in. Um, I mean, Solomon Bird Devin, was more productive than Corey Foreman. You didn't bat an eye when I said Corey Foreman should be off the team. Corey Foreman, I half expect to be in the transfer portal every day until mm. the end of the end of time. I don't know what the plan with Corey Foreman is. I don't know what to expect from Corey Foreman. I don't, um, I've, I've begun to treat Corey Foreman the way that I treated Wole Batiku, the other, the, you know, from years ago, the five-star mm. everything guy who came in and, you know, was supposed to be life-changing and just it never. I, yeah. It, I just, I, a five-star busts happen all the time. A third of the time. Yes. Happen. Yes. So I almost, I like if tomorrow Corey Foreman got in the portal, it would not surprise me in the slightest, partly because me, he's not a grad student. <laughs> the, the portal <laughs> window's closed. That's but. true. It's closed. <laughs> um, the reason I bring up Devin Tompkins is that he was one of the sort of the freshmen that came in last year yeah. that really impressed on the practice field and that the coaches were really excited for, even though he didn't, wasn't necessarily yeah. going to have a role to play um, in year one, giving, cause he, he definitely yeah. needed to develop physically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you were right. And I was wrong to mention him, but red, yeah. red shirt freshman, don't you, you, you don't yeah. chase them out for the, yeah. for the first year, but like, uh, what, but, uh, Oh, and Romello height. He only played two games. Was he injured? He was injured. Yes. So then okay. th- this is, and that's one of the reasons why I bring up Solomon bird because they, they bring in the transfer Jamil Mohammed. They bring in the freshman Sam Green, who was one of the like stars of, of spring camp, apparently, mm-hmm. that he was a revelation in spring camp. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he has a role to play in the coming season, but maybe. Um, and then you got Romello Height coming back from injury. Romello Height was a starter for USC coming in from, from Auburn. Um, he was supposed to be a major factor on, on defense for USC, and then he got injured, and so we never really got to see him come alive. He wasn't all that impressive in the two games that he played for what it's worth, but mm. you know, the expectations I, I were fairly high. Um, so Solomon bird 
benefited from that because then he got to see more time and you know had a few had a few moments for sure um but that, that it feels like there's a log jam there that i agree like i don't know how all of those guys can play um i don't know how those def- the defensive linemen are, are, are all going to factor in and play the way that I'm sorry to interrupt, but just the way that Grinch's defense is structured, there's only one rush end on the field at any given moment, right? Yeah. So like they only need one of these guys, they need one backup and they need maybe one or two developmental guys. They yes. took three freshmen, right? Green, who you've already mentioned, and then Shel- Bra- Braylon Shelby, Braylon and Shelby David yeah. Peavy, who both uh, come in in the fall. Those guys are both going to be rush ends, right? Uh, yes, that's the expectation. And then they took uh, Jamil Muhammad from Georgia State, um, who, if I had to project somebody, I think he just takes all these guys' jobs because he's yes. experienced. You yes, know? absolutely. And and which, that's which is like I think they should just have the four new guys and the three old guys should be gone. And that's why sort of you you look at um, Stanley Taufu specifically too, like. He, he was a starter for USC, but also he should have never been a starter for USC. It, yeah. it was sort of a uh-huh. sign of all that was wrong that like, he's your starting nose tackle. That's right. You've, re- you've replaced him. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, and what are the, what, what are the coaches telling the players in terms of what their role for the coming season is going to be? I don't know what that, I, I, I don't know what Alicia, that is because- you're, you, you took all the words out of my mouth because like the, the, the here you uh, sw- switching from the rush ends to the defensive linemen because there's it's three in, yeah. in in Grinch's system the three returners who have the most tackles and who you would you know think you'd be penciling in if this were not you know Portal Palooza uh you know are, are Stanley Taufu and Tyrone Teleni and Dejon Benton right like here are their talent rate they're all 2019 guys they're all redshirt seniors right their talent rating out of 247 for USC starting defensive tackles, right, are uh, 0. 0.86, 0. 0.84, and 0. 0.85, right? Like these aren't USC yeah. defensive tackles, right? Meanwhile, no. Stalin and Tully Pupu, or excuse me, Tulia Pupu, uh, you know, is the only four star that they've recruited in, I think, 10 years, right? Well, the, Solomon like Tulia Pupu was recruited as a middle linebacker. Yeah. So like yeah, he's like 250 he, pounds. Like he can't, he, he's not even, he's not even like, yeah, his, his recruiting ranking was because he was supposed to be the, a generational, like a middle linebacker USC and right. he ended up injured. And then they sort of tried to bulk him up to be a defensive, a, a defensive end, I guess, if, if we're going to sort of follow the, the, the positional things. Yeah. So again, it's, 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 these are guys who never should have been playing playing uh, meaningful yeah. minutes for USC on the defensive line. And they've sort of corrected that by adding the guys that they have. But also I think one of the issues is that the guys that they've added, there's still so many questions about them too. Like oh, I think yeah. that you look at, you look at Jack Sullivan from Purdue and you, and you know what you're getting from Jack Sullivan from, from sure. Purdue. He's a pr- productive guy from Purdue. Um, Drew Muhammad and Keon bars. Yeah. You, you, you sort of know a little bit more, but like you're also staking the entire health of the defense on bear Alexander and Anthony Lucas being ready to go right now, which right, exactly. might not be fair to those guys. They were freshmen at other programs that didn't really play and still but, need time to develop. So 
Let's unpack could- this a little bit. So, um, d- defense. Uh, Muhammad's a Russian, you know, from Georgia State. Who, like, you know, like we said, you know, Georgia State. You know, his numbers are pretty good. You know, but it's Georgia State, so you know, we'll have to see. But like, I, I still think he's proven more than the other Russians have. And then for the defensive line, um, they've taken four uh, portal additions. Uh, I, I believe you mentioned all of them. Um, Jack Sullivan uh, comes in from Purdue. I totally agree with you. He's, you know you know, he's got to be one of your starters because like, Hey, he played for a power five program. He's very reliable. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I don't think he's, you know, I, I, I would doubt it. If he were drafted at the end of this year, I would be surprised, but I think he's probably power five, you know, playable, you know, dude, they took Kyan bars from Arizona. Um, I, I think he's fine too. You know, he played at a power five level, um, and he's big enough to play. Um, he's actually, I think the biggest guy that they will, have. which, which is the biggest improvement alone yeah. is just the size that they've added, like helps quite a bit. Even if, even if he's not, you know, an, a, an all pack 12 level player for USC, yeah. he'd still be an upgrade. Yeah, but still, you know, two-star from Arizona constitutes an upgrade. Yeah, you know, I mean... Or, or excuse me, he's not a two-star, a low three-star, yeah. you know, from Arizona. 0.82 is what I meant to say. And then the the other two guys are both, like, high four-stars, like, borderline five-stars, but there's big question marks next to them. Those are Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M, who was... there. The, both of them are, are were 2022 recruits, but we didn't get to really see them on the field much last year as true freshmen. Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M, who, um, you know, didn't get much play and sort of like there's, you know, a question mark there. And then Bear Alexander, you know, from from Georgia, from whom, you know, look, I'm just going to be honest. I, I had to do a bunch of, you know, work on on Georgia, you know, because Oregon, you know, played him. Uh, and like the, even as a recruit, there were a bunch of question marks about uh, his work ethic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very fair to say that there's question marks involved. And like those guys are, you know. Uh, bars Sullivan and Lucas those were the guys I was seeing in the spring game with the ones you know like those guys had just walked in and pushed everybody else out of the way you know those guys are the guys that you had to bet on did did I miss anything or am I being unfair or I'm mischaracterizing anything Alicia here no no I don't think you're mischaracterizing that at all and I think that's that's certainly what we saw from the spring game and and what we can expect to see going I mean short of because Bear Alexander wasn't obviously there for the spring right, game, right, but like right. short of him coming in and unseating one of those guys, that that's that's sort of the, the group that you're going to have. But is that group going to be, I hope it's levels above the, the group from last year. I think that, I don't know that there's a like-for-like like replacement for Tilly um, Tupelotu. I don't think there's a, a like a like-for-like like replacement in terms of, of him, but you are, ab- you are, USC is banking on those guys being ready to go immediately without question and part of me wonders if the confluence of the other guys in that depth chart are just the uncertainty of like well if they aren't then fall back on Tyron Teleni because he played last year or yeah Stanley Taufu because he played last year I, I, I don't know I mean, that's the crazy. I mean, this was the 94th ranked defense in F plus and they're losing their three starting tackles of whom, you know, two of whom are now in the NFL. Um, And it's like, this could get worse. 
Well, that's a, that's a, um, <laughs> that's, a that's a downer. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Alicia. Uh, <laughs> Um, I mean, no, you're, 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 that's fair though, because like, like I said, the, 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 the defensive lineman that you lost is an, an NFL second round pick. Like, yeah. And, and a lot of that is because he's positionally difficult for the NFL that in is terms true. of, in, in terms of his performance and importance to the USC defense. Um, you know, that the second round pick doesn't exactly translate to, yeah the fact that Tuli Tupelotu was, was basically having to try to do it all by himself. You're Um, right about that. So I, it's, it is, but in their hand, they they don't, they don't draft guys who are garbage, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And his production just in terms of, of just what USC is having to replace when it comes to, to Tuli Tupelotu, 22 tackles for loss. That's, that's a lot of tackles for loss to yeah. try and replace. And I do think that the, the the group that they've brought in collectively can help raise the overall level of that defensive line. Um, but is there somebody that you can reliably count on to get behind the line of scrimmage and to create havoc plays and and sort of have that kind of impact? that that's that's the thing that that goes unsolved and i think this is the problem with looking at the entire the the, the defense as a whole is who knows you know yeah. like and the whole defense is living on hope that the guys that they've added are capable of of yeah i know I, like, step of stepping in especially when i have major questions about the person who's pulling the strings to try and get the most out of the players that have been brought in because the 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 excuses for last year were all like personnel 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 Mm -hmm. and fair absolutely fair when you do sort of a roster analysis but also the job of a coach is to take the roster that they have and certainly in in year one when you've inherited a, a roster to take the roster that you have and make it work as much as possible and the reason that Alex Grinch got so much pushback from USC fans, the reason why so many people wanted to see him fired was, yeah, what he, what he inherited was not great, but under no circumstances is, you know, USC giving up 45 points like five times in a season regularly, the kind of thing that is, that is acceptable and changing out some of the personnel doesn't answer the question of is is Grinch gonna just have the same problem here because I mean Cl- Clancy wasn't turning this stuff in when Cl- Clancy wasn't turning in 2094 you know in F plus yeah no and Clancy was the ultimate feast or famine defensive coordinator yeah. that was driving USC fans crazy but even when he was at his worst he didn't give up the the points totals that were that were being given up last year and and Clancy didn't have the offense on the other side of him that could make up for when he was in when when he was at his worst so like there was even less wiggle room for him which I don't know maybe (laughs) Hmm. maybe worked in his favor to a point but I don't 
On the other hand, like the offense wasn't scoring as fast and putting him back on the field, you know. That's that's true. Let's talk about the linebackers. Losing a bunch of guys, although it's sort of a product of like, you know, all, all the different scheme changes that they were sort of burning through and they were like bringing in a bunch of linebackers. And and uh, so it's like they're losing a bunch of dudes, but I actually, in a weird sense, think they're sort of stabilizing at linebacker more than anything else, if that makes sense. Yes. But let me recite uh, the the linebacker departures first. Raylan Goforth, who I think was like the third linebacker in, he had like 43 tackles last year. He has transferred out, I think, to Washington. They, they were very excited to get him. I was trying to, I was trying to, uh, <laughs> I tried to Ray, win. Raylan Goforth, though, is going to be the ultimate, like, prove it, prove it player. Mm-hmm. Because, um, like, if he does well at Washington, that pretty much answers everyone's everyone's questions about yeah it, it's USC. washington i don't have any faith in their linebacker just sort of congenitally <laughs> like you you put on purple you can't play linebacker um the or i guess yeah, that's not true they had a bunch of good ones under sark but uh uh which is crazy anyway Fine. um let's see keep, keep going to a cv nomura also transferred out i'm not sure where he landed i think he landed at fresno state Clyde Moore, who was a walk-on, but who actually got a surprising amount of play. His, uh, I think, uh, ran out of L. Julian Simon didn't play. He transferred out. Taylor Katoa didn't play. He transferred out. And then Carson Tabarachi uh, switched over to the tight end room. I think that's it for the departures. Yes. And I think that what we saw, I agree with your take on the linebacker group being stabilized. I think that what we saw at linebacker here is sort of what you were talking about that it's weird that they didn't do the same thing on the defensive line. Yeah. This is what I expected to see at like every unit is like, well, you weren't playing go away. Um, yeah. Um, and, and like, and I will plug in, you know, they got uh, uh, one uh, freshman edition, uh, attack at Curse, who's a mid four star looks great, you know, g- good body type, but like they can redshirt that guy and let him uh, pack on a little more muscle. Uh, you know, looks like a good frame. You just need to add maybe like 10 pounds of muscle mass. Good. Good, good, good. And then they got a, a transfer, uh, uh, Mason Cobb from Oklahoma State, you know, very productive. Um, you know, e- either he starts um, or, uh, you know, or he doesn't and he's a great backup option to have, you know, like and so you have, you know, three, you know, great, you know, options. The other two guys who I would characterize as starters who return are, are Shane Lee. Um, who would come in from Alabama and Eric Gentry, um, who would come in from uh, Arizona State. Gentry was injured in the spring game, so I was seeing Cobb and Lee. We are well on our way, by the way, to constructing our 11-man transfer defense, too. <laughs> hey, you you talked about the offense being 11, uh, all 11 players on the field being transfers. It's a lot easier to do that with the defense. Like yeah. it's it doesn't t- it actually doesn't take very much work yeah, at all. It's actually really <laughs> easy to do an eleven yeah. man transfer defense. Um, but yeah, is that I I've been talking for a long time. But is, is that how you you know it, it, it's Cobb Lee Gentry and then it'll be two of those three and then we're done. Uh, yeah, I think that um, from I think that you are staking a lot less on Mason Cobb than um, than the entire USC fan base. Oh, you think and, everybody's and down is you know, Mason Cobb? Is, Mason Cobb needs get drafted. No, it's more that just Mason Cobb needs to come in and save the defense. Like no. that's that's the level of like it's not what linebackers Mason. do for you. Like. <laughs> well, USC's linebacker play was at the end of last season was so miserably terrible um, that I think that fans just really want to see 
a veteran productive uh, line linebacker come in and just sort of be a veteran productive linebacker, um, which ironically USC does by grabbing a guy from Oklahoma state who absolutely productive, way more productive than any, anybody that USC currently has on the roster. Um, but also has a reputation for missing tackles. Yeah. So that's fun. Well, he's <laughs> um, a representation for being a, a, like a little, like, uh, like running himself out of the play, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Which is uh, maybe maybe not the most encouraging part. What, what was your what was your take on Shane Lee last year? I, I like Gentry a lot. I think we all got the book on him. What was your take on Shane Lee? So Shane Lee was playing with a broken hand for much oh, of this season. I didn't know that. Um, so that plays. A, I, I sort of temper my um, my perception of of the way that he played a little bit on that front because he was a little bit injured. Um, I was frustrated with Shane Lee because you could see the difference between him tackling somebody and literally anybody else making a tackle and just feel the, the, the difference in physicality that he could bring um, when he was in position to make a run stop, but he felt like a liability um, in, in, in past defense 99% of the time hmm. and was sort of felt absent. Otherwise, I don't think it was in his favor at all that Eric Gentry ended up getting injured, that he was sort of thrown in there with a, the sort of cadre of, of linebackers who, again, it was a, it was a situation where it's like, these guys should not be, these guys are not at a level that should be playing at USC. And it says a lot that these are the guys that are playing at USC, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was, it was not, a, it was not a particularly encouraging season um, from him to be, to be honest. I think people expected a lot more from him in terms of being a difference maker. And it felt like he got dragged down into the muck of the overall just terrible play that all of the linebackers had, which by the way, to me is a mark against Alex Grinch and the defensive staff because everybody to a certain point, it didn't matter who was in there. Everybody was making the same mistakes. Everyone was, was, was falling into the same muck um, to the point where like, you know, everyone was calling for Rajon Davis to get a run at a certain point because at least kids got talent. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because if Raylan Goforth and Tuas even Amora were going to be playing and missing assignments and not being physical and, just oh. being being terrible I the whole time. Meant, I, I definitely agree that it's anybody other than those guys should have been getting. Yes. I meant like as opposed to Shane Lee. Do oh, you think that Davis oh, should have been getting. Shane Lee? Yeah, um, I mean, let me. No, sorry, because... let me let me put more cards on the table. Uh, yeah. w- if and when Oregon was going to play USC in the title game, I had a bunch of video clips ready to go about how you were supposed to exploit Gentry because his he, he's he's weird because he's so tall. Usually yes. linebackers are not that tall, and there are ways to exploit that that, and it means that he has some interesting issues with how he changes direction. That's kind of neither here nor there. It's just interesting, yeah. Lee. There were lots of ways on how you exploit him. I was ready to go with lots of videos about how you exploit <laughs> Shane Lee. I did not like seeing Mason Cobb come in because I thought, oh boy, they're just going to replace Lee with Cobb and then we're done. I, you know, I figured that it was going to be you know Cobb and Gentry and Lee is going to be relegated to the bench. Um, and 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 then when you said Rajon Davis, I was like, wait a minute, is is Davis actually a real competitor for Lee's job? Uh, physically Rajon Davis should be, um, it will be disappointing if he's, if he's not at a certain point. Um, 
last year the 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 word just it just out of practice was generally that he's just he the coaches weren't ready to trust him to play mm-hmm. him yet and there may be a lot of reasons why a coach might trust somebody over another and when he finally did get in um he immediately made a couple just like really like like pump your fist and go yeah kind of plays um, and then like everybody else, he missed a million tackles and it was, it was, it was out of position and everything like that. So like, yeah, okay. The coaches were right. But also, like I said, if everybody else was going to be out of position all the time, like Rajon Davis physically was a love, a, a step above the, the sort of like range that the, that the players USC was playing in terms of like, they weren't fast, but they weren't big either. So, you know, uh, at least Rajon Davis is big and fast and could sort of throw his weight around. But I think that's the, the the sort of bigger problem is USC kind of does need Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry to be the guys with Shane Lee being a third guy instead of Cobb and Lee being the starters, except that that's probably where they're heading just because Eric Gentry had foot surgery and has been out and won't be getting back until fall camp at the earliest Yeah, and might not be totally ready to to go when, it, when, when push comes to shove. Maybe he will be, but... Um, Playing him also, like you mentioned, is not a, a, a perfect fit either because he's physically not a, a, like he, he's he's weird. He's he's he doesn't fit. He doesn't fit any position on the field. You couldn't play him at safety. You couldn't play playing him at linebacker is weird. Uh, there's been talk of like we'll make him a nickel, but it's like you know he's six seven. It doesn't. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I I love Eric Gentry. I really enjoy watching him. I, I play. thought they should have moved into rush end. I mean, that's, that would be interesting. That would certainly be a, a, a position that if he was able to bulk up a little bit, could, uh, could, could maybe be an it's interesting thing. Like a, like thing, a passing but, down specialist. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it's easier to do that if you don't have to rely on him as like your best linebacker, which yeah. was and one thing which that we talked about, yeah. which, which then that was, and that's part of the problem is like Eric Gentry was USC's best linebacker in 2022. And I love Eric Gentry. It's fun to watch him play. He, 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 he makes plays, but the fact that he was USC's best linebacker speaks to the, the lack of what USC was getting from anybody else, because he should not be your best linebacker just by the very nature of the, 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 the ways that you can exploit him sort of like you were saying. So what does that say about Chris Thompson? Do you think? So Chris Thompson was a safety from Texas, Auburn, uh, Auburn, Auburn. That's right. Um, uh, Alfred was from Texas yeah. uh, and they moved him to linebacker. And I have not heard a single thing about whether or not like uh, Chris Thompson is basically the defense's uh, Carson Tabaraji <laughs> to mm-hmm. me. Like w- once you make that, that, that position change, it's like, well, are you actually, are you a body or are you actually there? If, if there's anybody who we haven't talked about that is the one that USC fans are hoping is that guy. It's Tackett Curtis. And mm-hmm. I, and, 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 and I He's would agree with you. He's the true freshman. He's the true freshman. Yeah. And I would agree with you. Like, ideally you give him time. He was incredible in, in high school. He has that dog in him. Like there's a lot of reasons to be excited about him, but you can't just throw him in and, and expect him like, it's unfair almost to him to have him be the savior of yeah. the defense. If, if, yeah, if you ask USC fans who are the backers, yeah, not never going to work. And and that's why if you ask USC fans who the savior of the defense is going to be this year, 
there's on one hand they'll say Mason Cobb and another hand they might say Tackett Curtis and it's like well that might be unrealistic expectations but also defenses don't have saviors like it's a fence you know you need need (laughs) 11 planks who are each equally strong as the other planks like offenses have like single superstars but like yeah but but that's the sort of state of the defense is USC is is has a fence that's got gaps all over the place <sighs> and every plank that they're applying is either a solid wooden board or a foam board and <laughs> we won't know until we get to September when yeah right well have fun let's find out um the redshirt freshman Garrison Madden um I, I understand he was a mid three star uh have you uh, and so if we were going to hear anything about like you see the diamond in the rough, you would have been in spring reports by now. Yeah. That that's, that's, that's sort of my feeling. And I haven't really seen it. Um, the scouting report on him was just that like, he has incredible speed for the position. Um, but I don't know that we've heard anything that suggests that that is going to translate to contributions for this, for this season. Mm. That's harder. That's harder to say. I, he certainly has not been factored in, in the, discussion of the two deep so i started out saying that i thought that this linebacker unit looked pretty stabilized but having talked to you about it i'm sort of like feeling a little less stable about it you know cobb's got a job obviously but like gentry is still you know tbd because of his foot surgery lee i think is you know has a bunch of tackles but i think is exploitable i know he's exploitable i wrote a whole video about it davis will see if he's ready to play i mean he's highly rated out of high school but the coaches didn't trust him last year and that was his second year in the program this will be his third tom Thompson hasn't shown us anything. This will be his fourth year, you know, and then Madden is a low three star who, you know, hasn't popped yet. Curtis is a true freshman. We just talked about like, you know, I don't know about true freshman. I mean, it's the appropriate number to have in the inside linebacker unit, given the number of guys on the field. And like, I like that it's sort of stabilized, but it's like, I kind of have a difficult job picking out, you know, if I had to make a list, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, in ranked order, I'd kind of be challenged to do it. How would you do it, Alicia? Ranking the linebackers? Yeah. um, I feel like I would be doing it blindly because I would have to put Mason Cobb number one and that we know that he was, he was pretty good at Oklahoma state. That doesn't mean mean he's going to be good at USC, but uh, just based on what he did at Oklahoma state, I'll put him number one, Gentry, number two, Lee, number three, Davis, number Four, Curtis five, and then Thompson and, and Madden and and I wouldn't. Yeah, I know. Like I, I I'm it, with you. Like as as soon as you hit, first of all, I'm uncomfortable with three, and then I get uncomfortable with four, and then it's like, yeah, am I putting a true freshman at five? Really? Yeah, but but you have to, and you could even argue for the true freshman at, at four. But again, it's it's yeah. sort of a it feels kind of blind, and that's why I I think that um that my my biggest concern about this defense and whether or not it's going to get demonstratively better is that the linebackers I I, I do think you are correct to say that it, this is a stabilized group because the four let's say five that might factor into the rotation which is really probably more like three if we're being honest but what if somebody know, gets hurt somebody I mean, gets one hurt, you already have to, hurt you have to yeah um, you're, you're sort of in a, in a weird position there, but like, 
I, I think that USC goes into this season feeling like, well, at least you've got some veteran presences that um, have done something at the power five level uh, of those, of those three. And you can sort of work with that group in a way that you couldn't work with the group that you had last year once well, the you, injuries hit. I mean, what you have is certainty, you know, in a way that was like, you know, in the last, God, I mean, four or five years, it's been like, it, like, I wouldn't want to be, have been USC's linebackers coach for the last five years because I would feel like every day would be like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube. Of it, like, it can this been. guy play? Can this guy play? Can this guy play? And this year it's going to be like, well, these are my guys uh, off to the golf yeah. course. USC had a run where they had certainty at like at least middle linebacker for probably a decade because. Cam Smith was a four-year starter that you just knew was there. And you, and that came on the back of Hayes Pillard being a four-year starter. Mm-hmm. And it's not that those players weren't necessarily like the greatest players ever. They certainly weren't. They were flawed themselves. But there was stability and certainty around, like, at the very least, you can depend on Hayes Pillard to be there. At the very least, you can depend on Cam Smith to be there and, and deliver you a certain level at linebacker that – while not always elite, will never dip into terrible. Um, Since Cam Smith left, USC's linebacker group has dipped into terrible, or what what the heck is USC going to do? Uh, Way too often. And this year, it really all depends on, 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 honestly, to me, it all depends on Mason Cobb being that guy. And that's why there's uncertainty, because it's a transfer. And to me, transfers are like, to me still, it's every transfer is a 50, 50 shot. You're flipping a coin and maybe they'll work out and maybe they won't, but you're sort of banking on, on, on the flip of that coin being the stabilizing force that you need instead of Mason Cobb getting dragged into the muck that is USC's linebacker group for the last four years. All right. Let's talk about the secondary. I think there is uh only one starter who's a departure here, Makai Blackman, the corner mm-hmm. who got drafted in the third round by the Vikings. And then, you know, a bunch of guys left, but I don't think they were playing last year. Uh, I, I think that some of them were playable guys. They just either were injured or there was like a playing time jam or something like that. Cause I, I think a number of them landed on their feet. Let's see. Xavier uh, uh, Alford, I think is uh, uh, Arizona state. Now mm-hmm. Britton Allen transferred out. Joshua Jackson transferred out. I think he used to be wide receiver. Um, yes. Adonis Ote, uh, I think medically retired. Joshua Jackson uh, transferred out. I think he was a cornerback. Micah Kroom, who was an FCS guy, got a little bit of backup time or was a special teamer or something. Yeah, he's run out of eligibility. I think that's it for the departures. Yes, that sounds about right. They played, well, they played a lot of guys. Let's see. We were uh, off air. We, I think we sorted out all the, the cornerbacks. Uh, the, the, the guys who I was seeing other than Makai Blackman um, were Sierra Wright, Jacoby Covington in the primary rotation. And then I saw a little bit of, of uh, Prophet Brown and, and Damani Jackson. Damani Jackson was the really exciting recruit from the 2022 class. And I was seeing him play uh, in the spring game. I really think he's a stud and he's just going to break out this year. Do you think I'm, what do you think? Yeah, he, he should. He, he was uh, coming off of a knee injury 
Mm-hmm. And they sort of slow played his return during the season. So didn't get to see like a ton of him. Um, he should have the, the keys to the car this year as far as uh, corner goes. And, and if he doesn't, that's going to be disappointing. And I think Sierra Wright was the other starter, right? Yes. Sierra Wright was the one who sort of surprised everybody in, uh, in fall camp and emerged as the starter. Although he I... sort of became a, a little bit of a, uh, not always starter. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 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 he sort of flexed in and out of the lineup, I guess. I mean, like they also brought in Jacoby Covington from Washington. And I mean, I had watched his film and I was like, nah, it ain't going to be him. And then, you know, it wasn't him. <laughs> what do you think of Prophet Brown? I, I don't know that I've seen enough of him or, or at least he, he didn't make enough of an impression uh, he's gotten some decent reviews in, in terms of practice showing, but um, I'm, I feel like the jury is still out for me on whether or not he's a reliable sort of presence. They brought in, this was also interesting. They brought in two transfer guys into the secondary room. Um, uh, one of them from Alabama, who I believe is a cornerback, and I, I believe I saw playing cornerback in the spring game, Traquan Fagans, and the other from Arizona, Christian Roland Wallace. <laughs> and by the way, when I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, like is evidence of like why you shouldn't you should run the ball against Arizona and not throw it like they had a good cornerback. And the reason that I know they have a good cornerback is that <laughs> USC stole their cornerback. <laughs> You yeah, I think goal like Arizona's three best players. I I know <laughs> for Wildcats. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I was like people were like, oh, you know, oh, the USC bribed them away. Like they must have dangled a bunch of money. And I was like, have you ever been to Tucson? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, like if you offered me, like, if I had to live in Tucson, you offered me like half a tuna sandwich to go to Los Angeles. <laughs> I'd be like, my bags are packed. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I I I couldn't blame any of them, but also I live in Los Angeles and certainly would never move to Tucson myself. So I think USC is hoping to to pull off a, another Makai Black because the Makai Blackman pickup from Colorado last year worked out beautifully for USC, and I think they're hoping to. I mean, Christian that. Gonzalez was better, but you know, whatever. Blackman's fine. What I thought was interesting <laughs> was that like I didn't think they needed either of these guys. Like they don't. I, I really think this cornerback room is awesome. I think that Sierra Wright's a really good cornerback. I think that Damani Jackson's going to be a really awesome cornerback. I think that uh, Prophet Brown is probably pretty good. I think that Jacob Covington is, or Jacoby Covington is, is fine. You know, Fabian Ross, who's the who who redshirted last year, uh, you know, is very highly rated. And I was like, what do they, you know, this is the one unit that they, you know, where they have a good recruiter because they got him from Oregon. Like, yes. you know, it's just like, what do you, why did you go get two, you know, transfers? Like, not that I really have any doubts about these transfers. I'm sure they'll be very good, but like, this was the one unit they didn't need transfers, and they went and got transfers. Yes, and and the and it's the one unit where like the guys who left felt like, oh, that's kind of well. I guess aside from wide receiver, uh, the guys who left were like, oh, that's that's kind of disappointing. I, I kind of like that guy. Mm. Um, so I, I yes, I agree. I, I think that um, the you know. Christian Roland Wallace specifically is, to me, it's it's a um, it's a uh, experience and you know playing Pac-12 and sort of being a little bit more reliable than taking a chance on on some of the other guys that um, 
that haven't had as much experience over the over the years. So I sort of get it, especially when you can take him from from uh, somebody else in the Pac-12. Uh, Traquan Fagans is uh, to me very much a recruiting play. His brother is a coveted recruit ah, that committed to USC about the same time. So he, uh, he was a true freshman last year and I don't think he played, right? Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he played at Alabama and, and uh, yeah, the, so the, 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 the family affair of that sort of explains mm, it. Interesting. Um, so that, I think that, that just sort of explains the situation there with the, with the two transfers. One, one was, of course, we'll take you if we means that we can uh, make sure that we get the commitment of your brother. Um, and then Roland Wallace is like, yeah, sure. Why not? You were a, a, a strong starting corner in the conference last year. What, what could it hurt? And I think that's the situation that, that um, the secondary is in, which is, is sort of weird because the secondary last year was to me kind of disappointing, was often disappointing because I, I didn't see Kalen Bullock take the step forward that I would have wanted him to. Although, like you said, there's no, there's no one savior on a defense. You can have a really good player. And if, if the rest of the defense around them is on fire, like what are they supposed to do? I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Max Williams wasn't all that encouraging as, as, as a safety um, USC staking a lot on Bryson Shaw from Ohio Boy, State. His that, film uh, at Ohio State was terrible. Was, yes. Like, and that's the that's the, the the thing that it's like just because you come from Alabama or Ohio State doesn't mean that you're actually a really good player. Um, now, what you know, he had a couple of moments uh, last year where it's like, okay, he can he can make a play. Um, so that was that was somewhat encouraging, but I, I guess there might be questions about creating a situation whereby you don't give someone like Anthony Gordon, I'm sorry, uh, Anthony Beavers or, or Jamarian Gordon, like a path through to playing time by, by taking those yeah. players or by continuing to play Max Williams at safety instead of at nickel. Um, but when it like of all of the situations that USC has on defense, this one feels the most the, the the trick is just sort of like throwing them all in the air and then figuring out the best five that you can put on the field. Yeah, I know. I mean, they, they have plenty of guys. I mean, frankly, I didn't think they needed yeah. to take any of the recruits or any of the transfers that they took at all. I didn't think they needed to take the, the two we've already mentioned. I didn't think they needed to take Covington. I didn't think they needed to take Shaw. I didn't even think they needed to take Latrell McCutcheon from McCutcheon. Oklahoma. Um, like in, in fact, you know, this is the one position on the team in which like all of their prep recruits are better than all of their transfers. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, last year, USC relied heavily on Makai Blackman to be that, um, that oh, sort yeah. of veteran yeah. force. And, and I, I think, and, 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 and that's the, the, the difficult thing, right, is that, um, you know, it might not work out that way. But if it does, then, you're, you know, they're going to look like genius geniuses for taking, taking that guy. But the, the biggest worry, I think, for this, this group that, that I would have, aside from the overarching, like, is the defense set up to have the, any of these guys succeed in the first place, um, especially if things are on fire in front of them. But um, a lot of these guys have now dealt with injury concerns that you have to look at and go like, well, okay. <laughs> are How many are going to be available for, you know, are you going to be able to put out a, a group of, let's say, five guys 
who consistently play with each other and sort of gain that understanding that comes with playing with each other and understanding and trust and all of those things, or is it going to be shuffling it again? Because I don't think that helps anybody. Well, I mean, I I don't think it's the talent, but I mean, it's just like they, they didn't, they didn't come out well in advanced stats. They didn't come out well in my tally sheet. You know, it's like they gave up about eight yards per, per pass attempt and about, you know, 20% of plays, you know, gained 15 plus yards. You know, they were getting explosive play, you know, passing plays all the time. And I don't think it's because they, you know, was terrible coverage. You know, like I, like I said, you know, Blackman wasn't a terrible cornerback. I think the right is actually a very good cornerback, you know, but it's like the safety play. I just didn't think the safety play was very good. You know, yeah. uh, and, and I don't think the structure of the defense is very good to contain explosive passing plays. Like, see, and that's the question that I was going to have for you because um, sometimes I look at like, you know, in the preseason, I'll look at USC's roster and go like, oh, I like him as a player, and I like him as a player, and I like him as a player, and sometimes it feels like I'm I'm blinded by just the they're Trojans, and so I like them oh. kind of kind of perspective. But it is it is interesting hearing you say that like T.R. Wright. Is, looks like a, a decent corner and, and um, you know, Kalen, uh, Kalen Bullock, we, we I think know there's we a have huge difference potential. between the corners and the safeties is what I'm saying is like, look at, you know, it's like Damani Jackson's a five-star Sierra writes a high four-star, you know, like, it, it, like there's the, the talent is through the roof at the cornerback position. And then it's like, you know, you, you know, Max Williams is a low four star, you know, Bryson Shaw was a three star, but you know, Bullock's a low four star McCutcheon's a low four star Beaver's a low yeah. four star who, who's wildly overrated. He never should have been rated that high. That was a favor from the scouting services. Same with Gordon. Like, you know, it's just not the same. I don't understand why Zion branch wasn't playing. He was actually the last, this is the last question I'm going to ask you, Lisa, because I think Adam's about to explode. Well, he's been on for three <laughs> hours. And I think he's got to pee like uh, uh, Zion branch going to play. Because he's my like, uh, great hope for the safety unit. Because the rest of these guys, I sort of don't think that that Grinch is getting the most out of them. So he, um, one of the big reasons he didn't play, although he might have just not played anyways, because you never know with freshmen, he had a, a season-ending injury before oh. the season. So I don't know if it was back? an ACL, but it was it was a knee thing. So yes, he should be back. Um, and should be should get an opportunity. And I think if you look at like areas where USC could could really um, upgrade, it would be someone like Zion Branch coming through. Um, also, uh, Christian Pierce, the the true freshman, was uh, has been getting absolutely rave reviews in spring. So I think that USC, as yeah, as a safety. Um, so like USC could have a couple of guys sort of waiting in the wings, ready to take some opportunities from some of the others that, that you look at. And it's, to me, it's, it's so hard with like someone like Max Williams, because he's the sort of veteran that everyone loves because his work ethic is impeccable. And, and mm. he, um, you know, is just extremely well liked and his story is great and all that kind of stuff. But he's also a dude who is undersized as all hell and is on is, is has had two surgically reconstructed knees and it's like yeah what is he five cer- nine you know like and the yeah, surgeries uh, are making shorter like yeah and and at a certain point you just have to like accept that maybe maybe you've outgrown him as a defensive star um and i don't know that usc was willing to accept that last year and and mm. and, and you know maybe zion branch makes it easier for them to accept that uh, going forward, but like last year, it didn't feel like they were ready to trust any of the other guys that they could have turned to. And so 
you know, you end up with Max Williams, I think leading you in, in tackles or whatever. And, and that's just not, not a, not a great situation I mean, to be in. There's no staff shakeup. So I really, I have a hard time believing that's, there's going to be a personnel shakeup. Well, and that's, and that's exactly why everything that I say about the defense is sort of couched in that, well, this could change and this could be a positive update, but also you're dealing with the same, the same sort of mindset that was directing the defense last year. And, and in the front seven, you can certainly point to a wealth of, 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 of transfers that could maybe just make things feel a lot different or maybe fit the scheme mm. better or do whatever. But like most of the people in the secondary have been recruited specifically like by the staff that they're currently, well, not fully the staff, but like Dante Williams recruited most of these guys, like, mm there should be an understanding there and um, what they produced last year. I tend to agree with you. I don't think it's a personnel issue in the secondary with a couple of, uh, with a couple of exceptions that are not a situation like at linebacker where you didn't have anybody else to play or a defensive line where you didn't have anybody else to play where you chose to play the guys that you played and they were getting burned all the time. And it's like, well, are you utilizing the best of your, of your talent yeah, in this, in this group. They'll still wind up getting a dozen interceptions and infuriating everybody. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One can only help. Alicia de Ortola Castillo. Thank <laughs> you so much. Once again, from at fan side of the associate editor, reign of Troy is a podcast that you should be following on Twitter and also be subscribing to and leaving uh five stars, leaving the comments so more people can listen to them because it truly is not just a, even a great Pac-12 podcast, but a great football podcast, great sport podcast. Um, Alicia, not everyone would be willing to talk football <laughs> for longer than Infinity War, Saving Private Ryan, just behind Braveheart. And uh, j also just behind the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> so we thank you so much for hopping out. It was a fitting, fitting, uh, possibly final USC roster. Uh, yeah, we we had to give it the uh, final showing Co that went uh, oh. <laughs> went forever. Oh, yeah. but, but this is also the problem with having me on. <laughs> I oh, I you love I was long-winded. I love, it. <laughs> <laughs> I, love it. I. It's you and uh, Hippoday are a perfect match in yeah. that regard. That it's like let's get and I mean this. This is this is what uh, people do seem to really like with these roster reviews is because so many there's just a lack of Pac-12 coverage even for you know USC in LA it does seem like like you all you all do a really great job but there's just well I bet you're excited to see the fanatics of the Big Ten I'll tell you that much right <laughs> well it'll certainly be different and interesting. <laughs> And uh, Hithliday, thanks so much for doing all this research. Um, it, it really showed, and I, I was glad to hear about this team that uh, could be very scary when they come to Eugene. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Tuco. Uh, this is Angel Eyes signing off. Uh, I don't get that. All right, y'all. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly, ain't it? Tuco is that now I'm getting it. Yeah, I was thinking maybe this... bad, so. <laughs> I know. That, I thought that for a second, too. Oh, well, I should go watch The Good, The Bad, and Ugly after this just to get reacquainted. Uh, again, thanks so much for talking to both of you. We will make up a reason to get you back here, Alicia, just, even if it's just to make fun of the conference that you did. You know? <laughs> and I will always be happy to do so. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll invite you to <laughs> review the pack eight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, go Ducks, go Trojans, uh, quack, quack, and uh, fight on. That's what they say. That's right. Yeah. Uh, see you all next week. <laughs>